We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Greetings, Gator Nation. Welcome back to the podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Alan Williams. I'm here with James DiVirgilio. It's another Gators loss, a very sad one to FSU, but that's okay because we're here to talk about it together as a community. We'll deal with it. We'll talk everything about this game uh, and we'll orient ourselves to what's going to happen in the future. But but first, before all that, James, how are you doing over there, buddy? I'm I'm, I'm doing well. I, I laugh now hearing you on Mondays with your positivity coming through because I was with you all throughout the game to walking out of the stadium when you were not... <laughs> A lot of groans and sighs. Positive. Lots of uh, great commentary about just your insides feeling, you know, sick and gross. And, and, and you just, every time you walked by any Florida State fan doing the chop or anything else that they, they do, just the disgusting <laughs> nature. And I, and I love it because you and I both share, and we talked about this walking yeah. out, just how much we hate Florida State. And mm-hmm. no other school is close to how much we hate that school. And I think I said to you as we were as we were getting outside the stadium that, you know, as a grown man, I perhaps feel wrong with how much I actually hate Florida State because I don't hate it's Georgia. True. I actually kind of like Tennessee like we talk about. I mean, I, I I hate Florida State, and it is what it is. And so uh, now oh, it's man. nice to hear a couple of days removed, of course, on Monday. You know, we're able to, to look at this loss for, for what it is, and I still hate that we lost. That will never go away. But, man, in the moment, Alan, that loss for was sure. painful. Well, this no, it stung, and I hated – being there at the end more than anything. And you took a moment to like soak it in. Like you were some conquering general. Like I will be back to like raise the earth here. But yeah, I, I feel like I have to be able to show up here on a Monday and have a bigger picture. Look at my life and go, my life is awesome. I love so much about it. So many good things, including doing this podcast. So yes, I, do I live and die with Gator football? Yes, on Saturdays, but that's all I can do for it. I can't I can't carry this FSU malaise throughout the week. Otherwise, you know, I think I would be in bad place. And that's really why we do the podcast on Monday and not Saturday night or <laughs> Sunday. Because to yeah. be analysts, you do need to be able to try to look at it as objectively 
and impartially as possible to make good decisions. And, and obviously Saturday night, if we fresh, fresh off the loss, we walk out and we're spewing our immediate feelings, you know, they're, they're going to be negative and, and frustrated. And, and you did mention me staring at the field after the loss, Alan, like, like baseball teams do in the, in the World Series after they lose or other teams do. And I said, look, I'm going to soak in this loss because it makes the future wins feel better. Uh, and, and it really it really does. I think it's important if you support the team and you keep going to games. The benefit of that is when Florida, or maybe I'll say if, Florida turns it back around and becomes dominant again, you will appreciate the winning of a lot more than the bandwagon fan. I can assure you that. And I don't think we have sure. any bandwagon fans listening to our podcast, given the nature of the length and depth we go into. But... Without going further, Alan, as always, if you like the content on this show, follow us on social media, sub to our YouTube channel for film reviews, and become a patron on Patreon, where you too can drop a dono and perhaps become a dono legend one day. Shout out to B-Red and Kari the Commissioner for their excellent work this season. Thank you so much for making this 2023 football season a success from the podcast side. We really could not do it without you. You're saving us countless of hours each week. And if you haven't yet, you can join the GNFP Sammy and GNFP Java Discord thread. I don't know about the Discord thread, but I know on game days, the Sammy thread approaches 1,500 to 2,000 messages. Yikes. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if that's what Sammy dreamt of when he thought of a world <laughs> on game day where he could exchange text with others watching the game. But it is obviously a place where discussions are ongoing. All right, we have a new donor to welcome in here. Coming at the small dono level, uh, Mark Keister from modernagenovels.com and then a hundo bomb from an old from an old face a familiar friend Aiden Augustin coming in hot here with a hundo bomb let's go Aiden great to have you back in the fold sent me a picture of himself tailgating listening to the pod on Saturdays a Gainesville resident uh, founder of a company in town really just solid guy but thanks again for being back on the train here, Aiden, and still sitting on the throne is Barry Jenkins. Barry has not gotten back to us here in the past week. I'm sure he's not in a great place. A lot of you asked the they questions. Yeah, yeah, a lot of you asked questions about how is Barry a Florida State grad and a Florida fan, and perhaps he'll emerge to tell that story one day. We'll do a little podcast sit down with Barry Jenkins himself. But Barry on the throne. Thanks for being on the throne, Barry. Uh, the Gators fought hard. They attempted to get a W for you, but as things have been here in the past five games, unable to do so. Alan, hit us with the legends. Well, before I do that, just another quick shout out. Uh, I was wearing my The Big Homie Got Me sweatshirt. He sent me not only a t-shirt, but a hoodie that I didn't wear. I didn't have a chance to wear it last weekend because I was gone. Forgot it. So I wore it faithfully this week to the stadium. And of course, that makes me very recognizable. On our row, though, our seats, uh, our friend Alex, podcast fan, comes like, hey, are you Alan? I was like, I guess I must be wearing this hoodie from the big homie. Um, and so watched the game with them. Those super fun. Thanks for joining us. But yeah, I, I wonder if if you saw me out there wearing the big homie sweatshirt and you didn't say hi, you know, you should have. Yeah, we celebrated some good moments there with Alex. Yeah. We had some mosh pitting going on, some jumping up and down, the, the classic exuberant swamp celebrations, and unfortunately didn't get to have a, a W celebration. But yeah, good times. And kudos to you, Alan, for wearing the sweatshirt because you did win last week. But right. as you mentioned, you had stacked up some previous L's that you needed to pay. Yeah, I, you know, I was you know, I was traveling. I didn't didn't think to pack the big homie gear. So, you know, I had to pay my dues there. All right. The rest of the legends. James Ridge, Guy Tumbleson, Cooper and Kylie Craig. Jason Walker, the big homie, Lil Payton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Dude, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marcellisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, 
Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truett, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Rummery, Craig Scarato, Alan Horn, Sidney Singleton, Kristen Moody, David Sugar, Percy Harvin, baby. And then Doug and Lynn Virgilio. Yeah, I needed to add Lynn, my mom, because in reality, she listens to the podcast <laughs> completely almost every week. And she's become go. a major football fan because of it. My dad's attention span's much shorter. He might make it through a third of it, maybe. He picks and chooses. My mom, though, she knows what's happening on every pod. And I was like, you know, this is this is kind of backwards. Really, my mom needs to be the one getting the the sure. podcast That's love good. in fact so much so that when we were together at thanksgiving in atlanta the first thing my mom says to me is like hey you better be getting me some gnfp gear for christmas and i'm like all right look this is mom this is great you know obviously my mom thank you for supporting me as a son but really my mom just loves football so much which is which is awesome she always like paid attention but it's like a different level like mean, she's like she loves it and i know it's really fun for us to it's share great that, having so. football loving mom my mom loves football as well it's why i grew up watching the game She's not listening to this because she's a giant Georgia fan. Giant Georgia fan. Yeah, it's, it's disgusting. No, it's really honestly gross. Okay, well, the Gators do lose this game to the hated criminals, 24 to 15. You know, as I was walking out of the stadium, the thing that was ringing in my ears other than the tomahawk chomp was that this was such a missed opportunity to create such good vibes. We talked about it last week. I just wanted this so much for the program, for the fan base, of course, for the players and the coaches and everybody, the entire program, all of Gainesville, everything. And, you know, a lost FSU when they're a great team, theoretically, you know, they're still a good team without their quarterback. I played, had it right there so many times and just such a missed opportunity to create some positive momentum and, and just good vibes around the program. That's that's what it is. It, it's almost like say say less, Alan. I mean, we said before the season that we could lose the last five games of the season, and we did, and we just went right ahead and did it. <laughs> so two years in a row where we finished on a streak of an L three and now an L five. That's those counting at home. Eight losses to end seasons back to back, and this year was more brutal than last year because we could have won almost every single one of these games. And obviously capping it off with this Florida State loss, the way that it went down seemed fitting, seemed appropriate mm-hmm. as we dive into the analysis that this football team just couldn't get out of their own way um, in any game, really. Even if they get a good performance from one unit, the other ones let them down. There, there are a couple plays here and there that they seem never to make. So yeah, the missed opportunity is the story, I think, of this season. This football team could have had seven or eight wins, like we talked about. Yeah. But it wound up with... Vegas always knows five and five and a half being that number. And and they just know right ahead of time. And so, yeah, a huge missed opportunity in this game. And really, I think for the season to, to, to have momentum. And then what we talked about just branding on Napier's side, right? If you win more of these games, it's so much easier for you. You have more support, you have more belief, but losing every one of them is creating a major uphill battle now for Napier. And the narrative is just different from all mm-hmm. of these missed opportunities. And yeah, obviously, you know, you win that South Carolina game, could have lost that. You kind of flip flop that with the Missouri game. Probably want that Arkansas one back for sure. But this one is different than those because, you know, I, you know, 10, 15 years from now, will I remember that 
Missouri game, probably with some prompting. Oh yeah. The fourth and 17 or, you know, but these rivalries have an institutional memory to them. So it always matters whether you win against Florida state, Georgia, Tennessee, even LSU to some extent. And this Florida state game is like, yeah, I remember, I mean, these big upsets in the swamp. I have very clear memories. I wasn't even a student yet of 1997 and a massive win upset win in the swamp. So yeah, there's just a chance to create such an enduring memory as well. If you could have pulled this one out, even against the backup QB. And there were so many game changing moments, right? I tried to list them all. I don't think I got to them all, but a ton. And we can start with that last drive. Of course, there was the pass interference penalty that I think was highly questionable. Uh, and then of course the targeting penalty and, you know, late hit targeting slash thing on, on the third and 14, which was probably a game defining moment in terms of Florida being able to get back into the game. They just needed a field goal to win it. I don't know if they would have been able to muster that, but who knows? Yeah. The targeting was super tough, you know, watching back on replay, he's obviously sliding short of the sticks, but you know, in the stadium live, they're having to pursue at full speed to stop him from picking that up. And I, and a kind of a late dip slide, not sliding, you know, while they're 10 feet away from him. That's really tough. And I don't know. I don't, I don't, I can't blame those guys for that at all. I can't either. You and I talked about this at length. You know, Mahomes does this in the NFL a lot too, and defenders openly complain about it. That sort of half slide very quickly, but he's also a really dangerous runner, and oftentimes he doesn't slide. So, you, if you're a defender, what do you do if it's you versus Mahomes? It's third down and fourteen. The game is on the line, and he's coming at you. You're probably thinking he's going to sell out to get the first down because a first down greatly increases their chance of winning. Right. And on top of that. Again, Tate is running full speed. We have two defenders running full speed. That's like a perfect triangle. Everyone's far away from the quarterback. There's no chance to break down. You've got to stop him before the line. And as you mentioned, if you watch it on film and you slow-mo it, you know, a hundred times, put yourself in their shoes. Go run full speed at anything. And then imagine that you think that person could run over you, could make a juke move. I mean, it's not just like, oh, they're going to slide. And then they do slide. And then in the moment, you're supposed to just dive out of the way of them and try not to hit them at all. I mean, does that not take you out of the mindset of making a tackle? Again, it's not easy to make an open Right, They field go tackle. low and they end up hitting him in the head because he slides. Like if he doesn't slide, they're, they're going not low with their the legs. And again, we've seen this play out a lot, but this one was maybe the worst yeah. scenario that occurs in these moments. And it happens. It's not just Florida. This happens all over the place. It's that magical, in the wrong word of magic, but for Florida State magic, where you've got a long enough run, a lot of open field, two defenders coming at each other, they just can't slow down and wait or you are going to get the first down and in fact the primary reason that tate chooses to slide is because he has two defenders coming in full speed at him if they're coming at half speed he's going to take them on there's no pain or punishment there he's going to get the first down so that was just rough i mean that that's a rules thing it's the way it is yeah. but really disgusting and again i don't fault either one of those guys they had no intent to try to hit him hard or knock him out or target him at all there was zero intent for that they're trying to make a stop right before the first down line. And that penalty obviously looms super large. Florida State probably goes for it there on fourth and two. They'd made it before. Maybe they get it and it wouldn't matter. Maybe they don't get it and it does matter. Uh, Florida with a field goal to win. But yeah, Alan, that, that was brutal. Just a brutal circumstance there. And, and no fault of a defender. Just unfortunate. Yeah, continuing down the list of big moments here. 
Florida seemed to have massive momentum, big control of the game. There's kind of a shanked, blocked punt. No, no, this is after the return. <laughs> There's some funny special team shenanigans in the first half. Yeah, it was after, after the safety. So the after safety, the safety. Yep. Correct. And then a punt, kind of punt-ish kickoff return by ETN yes. to the 45. Yeah, on Florida State's 45. On so, Florida right, we are, 45. we are, like you said, five minutes left in the second quarter, up 12 nothing. Florida State's done nothing on offense. Momentum meter is max Florida yeah, right now. Yeah, and Florida continues to drive down there, eat some more clock, maybe puts in a touchdown. Man, this game is looking like Florida is handling it perhaps an insurmountable lead at that point in time mm-hmm. you're up 19 nothing versus that offense it might be enough that you just naturally win the game out it's that big this is such a huge possession momentum wise especially yeah and maybe you limit them you don't they don't have a chance to score before the half right so florida runs a trick play which i think we're both in agreement great time to take a shot you even said as they're running out if this is spurrier he's throwing the ball in the end zone uh, Florida does a trick play, but it's maybe the worst kind of trick play. You did a great job of detailing this on the film review. Go look at that on YouTube um, if you want to. But Florida basically kind of tricks themselves by running defenders into Max Brown. It would have worked had they maybe changed it up, or you know. But there's more opportunity to do a lot of different things. So that's a huge moment where Florida has the right idea, but definitely the wrong execution and the trick play and and trick play is such a silly word it's called a creative play or something a little different but whatever trick play that's the colloquialism we'll go with it 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 you know the silly design we talked about is that you run a reverse to trey who then runs a double reverse to to jackson who then pitches the ball to max brown but the problem is since you're getting the double reverse coming back across the field the defenders that stay home are watching that double reverse. They're going to naturally step in to stop Khalil. And then when he pitches the ball to Max Brown, it's on the same tangent line they're already running at. So therefore, they just go an extra four yards and they're crushing Max Brown. So the play design, just in general, doesn't make sense. You're, you, you're, you should expect that flow to occur to where you're going to bring defenders into your ultimate trick play kind of gotcha moment, which is that throw across the field, the tray. We weren't we were not trying to throw this ball to Ricky. Ricky's a total decoy. So when Max Brown throws the ball towards the sideline, if you're thinking he's throwing it to Ricky, he's not. Ricky's not even looking he's to just get rid of it. Ricky's watching the video board to see if we're going to score a touchdown to a screen pass basically to Trey. Doesn't work. But again, the play design's the problem. Using a trick play here is very smart. Why, Alan? Because our offensive line is trash. And in this game, they were extra trash. They were horrifically bad, completely overmatched. You can't just drop back and throw a bomb. You have no time. You need to use deception. This was an excellent time to try to hit a knockout punch. I like the idea, but as we've seen with Napier's teams in this two-year period, at times when the timing of the call is right, we need to have a big play here. The choice of design is wrong. And we've talked about this continuously in all sorts of scenarios. And here it is again, where this design in a chalkboard would raise a lot of questions where a good DC would say, yeah, but our defenders are going to do this and then they're going to do that. And this makes the odds of the success of this play, I think, pretty low. Yes, if Max gets the ball off, you've got a big play. But how many times do you not get the ball off? And I think the answer would be a lot. I don't think what Florida State did was special. What they did was expected of a quality top tier defense. And that's the part of the play design mm-hmm. that bothers me. But that, to your point, Alan, significantly changed the entire momentum of the football game. 
Now, it's not why Florida lost the game, but that was a major change in momentum. And you're dealing with college athletes who have college emotions with a backup quarterback. Florida State's not sitting over there saying, don't worry, we've got Jordan Travis, we'll be fine. You had a chance. You took your shot, which again, correct mentality, wrong design, leads to unfortunately a fail and yeah, another missed opportunity that, yeah, that really, and you're, this is what sucks is you're, you're not too far away from a long field goal opportunity. You didn't have to even do much just to move the momentum meter forward. Now, again, you'd like to get a touchdown there for sure to really deliver like a heavy handed blow there. And talking, speaking of missed field goals had two, especially the one in the half felt like it hurt. Um, FSU scores. Oh, maybe magically we're going to get a field goal try. We have that holding penalty, which would have been a chip shot field goal from where Florida was, and then a missed field goal, a badly missed field goal. And those are two things. Um, just random penalties. I mean, the Jamari Lyons spitting penalty, which we didn't know what happened in the stadium because you can't hear anything. Um, obviously, that boosted their first touchdown drive in the end of the half. And then just even that on their touchdown drive, you know, they get to third and 10, they convert a fourth and three on their field goal drive in the second half. There's lots of moments to continue to blunt their momentum. You can see here, there's a lot of opportunities for the defense who played really well to even like completely shut them down. They did a great job. So not that each of those is like a total game shifting moment or if they Florida wins or lose, obviously Florida lost by, you know, quite a bit there, but Lots of moments for Florida to seize control of this game or just completely shut FSU out, honestly. They could have ended the game with like three or seven points. Yeah, they could have. And, and, you know, in reality, it's too reductive to say this, but it's true. You'll hear coaches say this all the time, and it's become coach speak. But once upon a time, it was true in games like these. They made the big, high-leverage plays, and Florida did not. And that that's just what happened in this football game. When the momentum was on their side, they utilized it, and they cashed in. When Florida had unbelievable momentum on their side, they limped across the line to get points in most cases. They were gifted their first touchdown on what I think was a, a pretty bad roughing the passer sure. call. Um, so Florida couldn't get out of their own way. And we've seen this storyline quite a bit. And ultimately it cost them in the in you know the the most expensive and frustrating way. And probably the worst part of the game, other than losing, was the number of FSU fans there. Now I've been Really impressed with the Swamp this season and the Gator Nation fan base showing up, supporting a team that was struggling, limping along. But especially in the student section, students, probably none of you who are listening to this gave your ticket away, but apparently way too many students stole their tickets because there were a ton of Florida State fans there. Yeah, that was really sickening. You know, I've been to almost every Florida, Florida state game at home. And I've been to half of them at Doak and I cannot recall Allen ever. And if you guys have, you know, let us know, hit us up in the comments. I, I just don't recall seeing that many Florida state fans on the East side of the stadium. I mean, it was, it was maybe 40%, 35%. It was unreal. There were so many Florida state they fans loud. and they were super loud. And it felt like a, like a pseudo neutral game at home. And, 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 you know, I think to me, that's the part that made me the most sick is this is where we are as a program. We are at the point where even when people are supporting this team amazingly well, given how bad the product in the field has been, 
that this is your result is your rival comes in your bitter hated rival they they take over a lot of your stadium they watch a close win there's so many of them walking out it's gross i have not experienced that in my lifetime not like that and that to me was disturbing is the right word you know it welled up a lot of anger inside of me that it's like this is just who we are right now as a program you have to face the facts we have to change that but that's something you know. I don't think I'd ever thought I would see at Florida that we've fallen this far. That people are like, ah, oh, not only am I not going, I'll give my ticket to a Florida State fan. Yeah, and if all good. of them go, that's cool too. That that's really twisted, man. And that that really upset me the whole entire game. Like I couldn't really get out of my head. Just that many arms chopping at our own home stadium. We got we got to do something about it. We got to take it back. That can't last. That's that's gross. Okay, enough about that. All right. Again, 24-15, Florida goes down. Um, we were pretty close on this, actually. You predicted 23-20 UF. I was 24-20 FSU. Yeah, so you nailed FSU scoreline. I just knew exactly what was going to happen. No, they were they were worse than I expected for sure on offense. Or, conversely, we'll get into this, the defense played much better. So the keys to the game, this tells the story a little bit, as usual. Um, I want to see five yards per carry between the running backs and Max Brown. That's yes, if you take out the sacks, right, which I think is the right way to look at it. And keeping FSU to below 40% on third down, and they're only at 29%. So they hit some big ones. They hit some long ones, right? But for the most part, great job by the D. Yeah, so by your keys to the game. It's the first time this has happened all year, mm-hmm. by the way, that if you picked a loss or if, if Florida lost, that your keys to the game or either of our keys have ever hit. That hasn't happened yet. So right. there's so two, it shows you that two, Florida was in the game. But yes, right. So two things out. happened that you wanted to happen. Florida ran the ball well, and we had a great third down defense. Yeah, we still take the L. Yep. And then on my side. Yeah, so Max Brown rushes for more than 80 yards. No, with or without sacks. Not even close. And, and largely because we didn't, we'll talk about this, didn't seemingly try enough. Mm. That surprised me. We'll talk more about that. Yeah. And then the ET offense, ETN and Trey, 65% is only at 32%. Now, part of this is certainly that ETN didn't play in the fourth quarter. Yeah, probably would have been more like maybe 40, 45. And mm-hmm. ETN did start the game. He did get some mm-hmm. feature carries. Uh, obviously, Montreux played well as well. But, yeah, nowhere near a number we felt like we needed to have. Yeah, and and we, were, we were correct to say Florida's offense lacks such explosion. And against Florida State's offensive line, you were going to need some way to get your playmakers to do some magical things to make this work out. And that happened in some in some regards. Yes, and obviously Florida ran the ball really well. Would have liked to seen them get the ball to Trey much more often than they were able to. All right, also you want to see Tate, the FSU QB, throwing for less than 150. He did 134. And have one play touchdowns of 30-plus, so... Had one, but the second TD was 26 yards. So they did hit some big plays there. Yeah, so, so that one feels really more like a loss. It technically right. gets the green, but feels like a loss. But regardless, the defense gets two greens and the red on mine gets the offense gets two reds. So that kind of, I think, explains what we're going to see in the breakdown too is like what causes loss. Mm-hmm. Well said. Okay. Let's talk about the offense first. 232 yards of offense, 146 rushing, which is very nice. 86 passing, not enough. Um, Florida does go 7 of 16 on third down, much higher percentage in the first half. 0 for 1 on fourth down, one pick. Um, Allowed six sacks and 11 tackles for loss. So Max Brown goes 9 for 16 with one pick. 
Uh, that's the very end of the game, so it doesn't almost even matter. Yeah, fourth and twenty. I mean, right on your yeah, yeah that pick doesn't shouldn't really even count. All right, ETN ten for forty three, four point three yards per average. Um, felt like it should have been more. Montreal had a really nice day, eighteen for one hundred seven, five point nine. Ricky- and almost all of that comes on one carry mm-hmm. before the end of the half. So really, ETN was a, a more consistent again success rate wise. ETN was a much more consistent runner. Right. And Montreal had the best opportunities to to make tacklers miss, and he did not. That's not a knock on Montreal. He mm-hmm. played really well. But he had, if you look at the film on offense, who could have made a difference without changing any of the play calls Florida ran? It was Montreal, one-on-one versus the safety in the flat. It's going to be a touchdown. If he makes a miss, he gets tackled. Another opportunity where something similar happens. Uh, you would have loved, of course, to have seen ETN have those chances. He never really did. He was running well, but was never just straight in the open field, catching Florida State in a bad look. That's not a knock on Montreal. Just I think Montreal looks back at the film and says, "Man, if I can make this one guy miss, we're putting we're putting seven on the board." Um, but either way, Florida did run the ball well. All right, Ricky, one for seventeen. That's brutal. Yeah, that he doesn't finish with a thousand yards. He certainly would have with Mertz in there. Uh, that that hurts. That hurts. Yeah, and Trey three for thirty six. Okay, let's talk about Max Brown first. Fun story. Comes in and plays pretty well in the first half. Um, you know, he hit some big throws. There's an absolute dime to Trey for a big first down on a third and long. He's throwing, he's reading well, but he's throwing balls behind guys, right? The guys are making some good catches. He has a couple good runs where he looks shifty. And then nothing really in the second half. Feels like there was missed opportunities there. Oh, one, how would you assess his play? And should they let him throw more or maybe even run more of the zone read stuff? Yeah, I think the zone read stuff's the biggest smoking gun. And, of course, I like passing the ball. I mean, I think Florida should have tried to have capitalized a bit more. Especially on short stuff that he seemed to do fine with. Yeah, on their running success. Uh, obviously, Florida State did come in, as we mentioned, with the number one success rate defense against the pass. Mm-hmm. So there's reason to believe that you're better off running against them where they're 32nd. That was true. Florida did have success running. We thought that would be possible. It's why we skewed a lot of our kind of predictions towards that. But at some point in time, Alan... When the game is is fully on your side momentum-wise, and your quarterback has not made a bad decision. In fact, he threw two absolutely cold dimes. Just ridiculous passes. Yes, the, the first pass, pass to Trey on third down, and the pass to Aiden Hansen was disgusting. And he was comfortable. He was comfortable. And I think, of course, with Florida's passing game, it's always risk-reward because they're getting right into the backfield, which is why I think Florida should have tried more to force the issue on the zone read. And I'm going to talk about how Florida State defended Florida there and how much respect they gave Max. They gave him a lot of respect on the zone read. But he's so good at it. I think Florida could have tried to have found ways to run zone read passes. You keep it, you roll out, you throw a pass. Like just Tim Tebow-like creativity uh, where things could have been better. And passing-wise, it is important to say Florida's receivers were getting open in this game. They were getting open which was impressive. So I think a lot of Florida State's number one passing defense fits the old adage that we know to be true in football. The best way to have a really good secondary is to have an excellent pass rush with four people. You'll hear every NFL team say this, right? It makes your cornerbacks look like heroes because on film when they're getting absolutely cooked, there's no time to throw the ball against them. And we were cooking their corners frequently in this game, cooking them. They played way more zone than man because we were killing them in man. And we missed chances for wide open touchdowns to Ricky 
on one. We had deep balls to Khalil. We had Trey open. We had Arliss open multiple times, wide open. Not Max's fault. Maybe one play could have found a way to snake through the pocket and get it to them, but then just immediate pressure from everywhere negated those chances. So if you want to pass the ball more, it was going to be difficult, obviously, mm-hmm. with how Florida State was pressuring them. But regardless, Alan, when the game was hanging in the balance, we tried the trick play. I liked it. Didn't like the design. We talked about that. But the game was also hanging in the balance for multiple possessions late in the third quarter when Florida's up 15-14, and we ran the ball six times in a row. Yeah. And by that point in time, Florida State had been loading up more and more on the run. They are more comfortable with what Florida's game plan was. you got to find something there. And I think Florida State was far more willing to let Tate Rodemaker throw the football. 26 attempts versus Florida's 16. We only had 13 attempts going to that last drive. 13 passing attempts. And I do think, looking back on this, that Mike Norvell, yes, that guy's been in the system more, four years in Rodemaker, right? Different offensive line than what Florida has. But I do think his willingness to attempt to challenge Florida's defense vertically won them the football game. They got some pass interference calls that I think were probably illegitimate, especially on the Jaden Hill one that was crucial, that converted a second along for them. That was a rough penalty. It's not his fault. They got an underthrown ball, P.I. on Devin Moore is in perfect position, but the ball's underthrown. But that was a reward for them trying it. And a lot of those throws were quick game deep balls. Something Florida also could have attempted to get off, but largely didn't try. When we tried, we tried to play action home runs, which play action increases the time it takes to the football. We've talked this before. And if we went empty set, we ran with the quarterback. So none of the stuff we've talked about for two years where, hey, if you know your offensive line sucks, run quick game, run zero drop, run one step drop. You can run that spreading the field out with five receivers, right? We saw Mullen employ this tactic beautifully with Kyle Trask. Max is not Kyle Trask, but you can still do it. You can still run quick game to attempt to do something to take care of a really good pass rush. And Florida's content to just run the system, not run it well, try to run the football, go in 12 personnel like Billy does, very well must champion, mid-third, late-third. We're in 12 personnel. There's no trend in the field. We're running the football. We're in a bunch set formation. And that junk tears me up. It really does tear me up. And so I think if I'm Billy, I look back and think I've got to do something to try to push my advantage further when I have these narrow leads, even though I know my team is flawed. I know my team is flawed. You can't just hang on with a whole quarter and a half remaining and hoping you can run it 25 times in a row against a really good Florida State team that's playing more aggressive than you are. So credit to Norvell's team being more aggressive than Florida. And obviously credit to Max on really, I think, playing an excellent game. Yeah, I don't think we could have asked for anything more for him. He converted third downs when he had to throw the ball. He'd largely read the field well. He looked composed. The moment was not too big for him. He's not afraid. And ultimately, he did what the coaches asked him to do. I think he played to the best of his ability, and he was not the reason we lost this game. I wish we would have tried to give him more. I wish it would have been like, you know, we tried to feed him some, and he didn't make a play. But we went down with really out knowing if Max could have done something more to help because the opportunities came way too late when Florida State knew we had to pass. They're pinning the Rays back in their pass rushing, and that's never going to work against them. Right, right. So, you know, unfortunate. But yeah, for Max, that's great. For a guy who's never supposed to play here, a project baseball guy, he should be very proud of the the time he spent here at the end of the season trying to get Florida a win against Missouri, which he should have, and then attempting to get a win against Florida State here. All right. Florida State had a much better offensive line, so there were times when Florida's pass rush got through, and you know, they did their job, but also he had moments to throw, and Max largely did not. And that's the limitation, right? So I think that changed the game plan with no time to throw. That It's riskier. Obviously, you're going to get your quarterback hit potentially. Tip balls. We saw one that Trey caught 
on like a third down was almost a first down. So that's often a pick or, you know, bad things can certainly happen. But to go run, 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 punt, run, 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 punt, run, 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 punt is not what you want to do either. So I don't know. I, I get it that we had been running the ball well. But Max had been making good reads on those quick drop stuff. Um, and I would have loved to see him have more chance to do that, right? And they did dial up some QB runs, but in some fairly obvious situations, yeah, they spread it out. They ran it most of the time there. And that's so. the thing is with a really good zone read quarterback, spread the ball out more, right? Like go go two by two or three by one and increase your splits and mm-hmm. let Max run it in a box. Florida State was content to play with six guys in the box. But Florida so often did the dirty work for them. You're going to run a zone read look, but you've got you've got your entire team in between the hashes. That's easy. And look, Florida State when Florida bunched, Florida Florida State respected Florida and Max, but they would assign the defensive end and a linebacker or corner to sit on Max's read side. But that they were not doing that when Florida spread them out. And if you recall the third down play where Max had his zone read with a nice conversion in this game, it's because we were spread out. And he absolutely murdered the defensive end. I mean, right. He faked him so bad with his zone read skills. What I said are 10 out of 10. It's a teach tape zone read skills. But Florida ultimately didn't put themselves in those formational looks as often as I think they should have given the limitations, of course, this offense had. But to your point, Alan, we couldn't have just dropped back there and thrown the ball every down. We we don't. That was not going to be a winning scenario. But there has to be more. You have to. There had to be a tactical plan to do some more. Because you can't just go run, 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 especially out of 12 personnel, which we keep seeing Billy do, which is fine for Florida. Florida can gain some yards running the ball that way. He scored a touchdown off of it. It was productive. But I think you see Billy go to that. We've seen it happen now multiple games. His comfort zone when things get tight for him as a play caller is 12 personnel bunch set. That's just where he goes. And so far, that is not one football games for Florida in these scenarios. And that's my gripe with it. Even if overall in the season it's been productive, which we've talked about, in high leverage moments, Florida has not gotten the job done going to that look when they've needed it most. So therefore, with this offense, I wish they would have tried something a little different. Clearly, Alan, I think we're going to say here, this loss is going to fall on the offense, right? Special teams has a play in it. Trace Mack with long field goals. But ultimately, this loss will fall on the offense. Bad holding penalty, which costs us a chance to get a field goal at the end of the first half. Not enough production when the defense has a really good day. And looking at these numbers here, which we're going to get into, I've got a lot of red on my offensive sheet. How do we do compared to the scout? And I've got all green on my defensive sheet. How do we do compared to the scout? Now, that's a little unfair for the defense because we said the scout is so high with Jordan Travis doesn't matter, though. Defense was all greens. Really good day at the office. And the offense, you're going to see these numbers. It all comes down to one unit. It's the offense. Well, I think, line. too, if you would have said, all right, we're going to, would you take 24 points from FSU's offense in this game? And you just have to go take it or leave it. I would have taken it. Now, again, they had a chance to hold them for less, certainly. And some of the game dynamics shifted a little bit, and there's some – you know, there's some tough spots there, but I would have taken that and tried to win 25-24. Uh, Florida only got to 15, obviously, but yeah, I, I don't know. Considering what they had been giving up and considering, you know, some of the limitations they have, I would have taken that. So the other thing I think when talking about the offense, talking about the ET, the other half of the ET offense, Trey, Florida did try to get him the ball. Right, that trick play was designed for him. 
There was a play where Max throws behind him, misses him, where he probably had some room to run. Uh, he had a end around that we didn't block very well, and he probably could have had a lot more yardage there. I would have featured him even way more. I don't know. I in terms of especially as you know, Etienne goes out, give him the ball, throw him more screens, throw him the ball, whatever. I, I don't know. Hand it to him. That I think was our only way forward. I don't think we were going to score moving down the field just with Montrell and Max running the ball. Yeah, four touches is not enough. He has three receptions and he has one carry. And this is where you f- you have to force the issue with your offense being limited. Mm-hmm. Again, the offensive line, the offensive line. You just heard me say it is the real reason why Florida lost this game, mm-hmm. right? Billy needed to do a better job managing a major deficiency this team has. That is a reality. It's a major deficiency, but you got to do better to manage it. And one of the ways you do that is you just feed the guys who can make people miss the football. If we need Trey to channel his inner Barry Sanders, give him the ball 10 times back there. It's the last game of the season. What give ETN the ball for? 10 times back there. Right. It's like, look, we need a special play to get a touchdown to take a lead here. And in those moments, we went 12 personnel, inside zone, inside zone, inside zone. No zone read, no play to Trey, nothing to get anything going. And we just trusted we could outpower football them. And we have not been a quality power football team, especially in high leverage moments. Right. In the first half, it's like, yeah, those big guys, Lindell Hudson and Damian George, in the run game, they can lean on people and they can be effective, but not to the point where they can just single-handedly win you a game. Obviously, FSU shifted what they were doing and completely clogged up what Florida was doing, and we had no answer. Yeah, we did. We gained three or four here and there, but ultimately you faced third down, and you've got to convert. And Florida fell apart in the second half with conversions. Also, penalties, obviously, we talked about this hurt them. And just in general, it's a you know it, it's a big fat L. But the players played their hardest, and that's one feature of this football team. The players died in the field trying to win that football game. Play mm-hmm. with energy, play with confidence. Um, you know, so talent is an issue, obviously, with the offensive line. And then on top of that, right, just the coaching is not optimizing, in my opinion, what's happening on offense. Now, every team in the country that loses has some podcaster out there saying. And some fans saying the coaches are not optimizing what's happening and they could do better. And a lot of that is just hindsight. Mm-hmm. I know they played me this way. I should do this. But I think we have enough evidence to know, like we've said before, that even in this game with, the, with, with two arms tied behind our back, you'd like your play caller to try to do more to win the game rather than go the Will Muschamp route, which is just what this game felt like. And we know what the Will Muschamp route leads to. It's why he's not a head coach right now, despite being a gifted Defensive mind, a high-energy, charismatic guy. That is not a championship mentality. And Florida had a survival mentality on display in the Swamp once again, and we did not survive. Right, and I understand wanting to just survive when you're playing shorthanded, no offensive tackles, backup quarterback. There's some moments for that, right? There, there's a You don't want to just say, screw it, I'm going to drop back and throw it 100 times. I don't care who my personnel is, right? You do have to manage the things that you're given. And they did a good job of that in some ways, but again, it's, it is the loss, right? And so Florida wins, we're, we're probably talking about how they did just enough. And again, that's too reductive a narrative. And this is the hard thing about football. There's so few data points. But if we're analyzing this game, what could they have done differently to win it? That That's what's there probably. Yeah, for sure. Let's look at a few numbers here before we, we move on to the defense. How did Florida do DNA-wise? Well, we knew Florida State coming in played a remarkable 44% in man. They played just three snaps in man hmm. versus Florida. Which makes sense. Running quarterback, keep yourself in front of you, probably can't make a lot of throws to hurt you. 
And Florida did very well on those three snaps. And man, how about this, Alan? 100% completion percentage with a 111 rating. That's beating the scout. Florida State's defense came into the game with a 56 passer rating allowed and a 39% completion percentage. A small sample size, but Florida won in that battle. On the zone, Florida did not win, right? A lower comp rate than what Florida State normally allows, a 31 QB rating. And they faced mostly cover four, which is Florida State's bread and butter defense. So basically, Randy Shannon, a guy we talked about, a vanilla coordinator, wants to play sound defense with quality athletes, got to do it. They got to play safe on the back end. They got to not bring pressure that often. And they were able to crush Florida using their base defense. That's a recipe for success. And here is a stat that's going to blow your mind. Florida State generates a tremendous 39% pressure rate per game. That's so high. How about the pressure rate in this game being 60%? 60% of Florida's attempted passes faced pressure. It felt like that. Despite the fact, your next question is probably how many pressures did they bring? They only brought a few. Not very many. Most of the time, they were just bringing four. And when they brought the pressure, they got 67% pressure. But check this out. We had a 100% completion percentage and a 111 rating. Why? Because Florida's receivers were cooking their DBs. Cooking them. So... Florida State was wise. Hey, forget it. We're not going to bring a lot of pressure. Let's just sit back here and play zone and bring four where we can make these windows smaller and get home almost immediately anyway. Right. All right. We knew they'd bring five-man pressures, which they did. They were all five-man pressures. Uh, We know they never rushed three, which they did one time. They'd mostly play four, which we talked about. And against four-man, we had a 50% completion percentage and a 28 rating. And this is the stuff that's obviously frustrating as a guy and myself who loves offense. You have a major deficiency, which you've already well covered. I'm not going to cover it again. But you know going into this game exactly what Florida State is going to do to you. You know they're going to run their base defense. You know they're going to rush for and play cover four. We talked about it leading into this game. It's what they're going to do. And they did it, and you had no answer for it. And that's the stuff that's frustrating. There are ways to try to beat this stuff, right? And one of the best ways to attack cover four is by spreading the field out and running quick game. Because cover four does what, Alan? It plays safe. It keeps a lid on the defense. The underneath quick throws are there. Did Florida try it? Hardly at all. Hardly Fairly successful when they did. And when they did, people were open and we were successful. So that's annoying and frustrating. And lastly, we knew Florida State was solid against play action and motion. Um, coming in, they allowed a 78 rating and a 64 rating respectively. Florida against play action, which is their bread and butter. It's their main passing offense. A 28% completion percentage with a 52 rating. That explains Florida's issues. With motion, they actually are pretty solid. 75% comp rate, 87 rating. And Florida's running backs, despite the day that we had, this is going to be wild, they were hit at the line 68.2% of the time. Seven out of 10 times we ran the ball, there was contact at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. So heroic job by two skilled running backs. That's insane to have that kind of rate, right? So again, where's the issue you see there? It's pretty clear. The offensive line flopped all over themselves and failed. They failed, Alan. And it's really, really horrific because we commit $1.5 million of coaching capital to two offensive line coaches, one of whom is, quote, an OC. There's two of them, Alan. We're recruiting terribly there, at least entering into this year. We're playing terribly there. We don't have tackles in the SEC. And these are the kind of results you get. When you play a quality defense, and that is disgusting in year two of this rebuild, it just is what it is. It's it's a it's a major problem. 
Yeah, we're going to talk about off-season recommendations next week, but that's certainly something I think has to be looked at. It does. So lastly, one more thing on the run game. Why was it successful? I think if you put Graham Mertz in this game, Florida's running game is dead. Not happening. But most of these running lanes on those inside zone runs, especially in the first half, why were they open? Because they were totally accounting for Max Brown. He was freezing verse, who's an all-American level defensive end, completely stoning him to where Verse is playing perfect positional football, but he holds that fake so long. By the time he puts it into the belly of Etienne or Montreal, Verse could not get them. That is, I can't even tell you how good that is from a guy, Max, but he was larger the reason why our inside zone was so good. So oddly enough, Florida would have been better off with Mertz for sure. But the running game was perhaps benefited by Max. And so Florida did do a nice job recognizing that. So credit where credit is due. Like we talked about, I think you and I, Allen, just talking about seven to 10 plays in this game probably needed to have a better design and a little bit more aggression. Not a wholesale game plan change because we're so limited, but seven to 10 different plays that you could have run to try to do what Florida State essentially did. Get a few first downs here and there, put a little pressure on the defense and win the game. It was there for the taking, didn't happen. Yeah, and if you've played this game a bunch, I don't know that Florida wins too many of them. But in this particular scenario, especially when you're getting what you're getting, it feels like you let it get away, as we said. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Okay. <laughs> Again, I, Florida, they haven't really played a game where they played well on both sides of the football except for maybe the Tennessee game, the defense shows back up and plays excellently. 
Um, again, backup quarterback here, but love the way they played. They were, FSU was 4 14 on third down, 1 of 1 on fourth down. That was a big one. Only 224 yards, 134 passing, only 90 rushing, six stops, five punts, three sacks, eight tackles for loss, 11 pressures, one turnover. They do get that safety. And again, the, the success rate stuff was on display here. Uh, Florida would often only give up a few big plays per drive, but that was the thing that killed them. And you saw the youth show up at times, some of the similar issues, but highly, highly successful in the first half and played well often in the second half too. Florida State bogged down as well. So as you watch this, was this more the limitations of FSU having a backup quarterback or more solid production and execution from the UF defense? Well, I thought this game played out accordingly to the scout. We we really had gave Jordan Travis the hero treatment in the lead-in, saying, look at the success rate of this offense. It's actually not that good. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love success rate. It's a measure of consistency, right? And we said that coming in, 44th overall, 93rd on running plays. And we thought that Florida could do damage. Just one reason why I picked Florida to win. I thought our defense could do some serious damage in this game. And they did. I mean, all Florida did to open up the game, you know, to refresh your memory of how just great this was, was this. Three plays punt, three plays punt, four plays punt, three plays safety. Those are your first four drives. What else can you ask for at home? And then unfortunately, it all changes with the absurd loss of discipline spitting, right, by Lions. And then they go 10 plays, 90 yards, and a touchdown. And they still had a chance to hold them to a field goal if if that ball to Correct. Johnny Wilson, if he they rule that incomplete, Florida State's kicking a field goal most likely. And that's the thing with Florida is like in this game, right, at times you have a play like that where Jakeem Jackson has really nice coverage. He actually turns his head around, which I like that. I break down in the film review how Devin Moore, largely who I think is Florida's best corner, is not turning his head around on these plays, and he should. He probably could have had two picks in this game if he did. Well, then Jakeem Jackson does it, and they run the perfect route against it, which is any kind of comeback route. And you have to live with that as a corner. And it's you know a really tight sideline toe drag catch. Teams are going to convert yeah, six, first downs on you that way, yeah. and that's what you want. And I, the reason why I think Coach Ham is going to be good is I think in the future, most teams are going to face most plays against defenses like that, where the windows are small and it's hard. But Florida still gives too much away, which is what you mentioned. And that was on display in this football game. But what a start to the game. And then what a total regain of composure, right? Because you get back-to-back touchdowns from Florida State. And you're thinking, oh, man, they're rolling now. Like, we're in trouble. We're down 14-12. But then defense goes three plays punt, four plays punt, right? 12 plays field goal, which gets aided with, with penalties. And then their touchdown drive, which gets aided with penalties. Take away those penalties, some questionable. Maybe they don't score at all. Fourth down conversion, sensational fourth down conversion. That was an amazing The play. best throw of the day by Rodemaker. Florida's got great coverage across the board. Jaden Hill, tough spot. He's got a cover in the slot, in man with no help. His receiver can go inside or outside. He's right there. He's, the he misses so the ball small. by half a yard. I mean, that's when you just tip your hat and say, it's a great play, right? It's a great play. And they made it when it mattered. But, you know, Florida's defense... Obviously, I think Allen had one of their better games. And yes, to back up quarterback, quarterbacks matter a lot, but they really matter on this Florida State team because really this offense is not that good. But Jordan Travis makes it this backyard sandlot 
throw late offense. And these receivers, especially Johnny Wilson, really benefit from that because they find empty spots and zones late. They didn't have a chance in that in this game to do that. And it really affected their ability to move the ball versus Florida. Uh, but ultimately, they did enough when it mattered. They were aided by some calls. And they had some timely third down conversions, which you have to do to win games to see this game out. But the defense, I think, played you know really well. We played a ton of freshmen, right? That last drive before the half, you and I were up there looking. And we had a freshman corner and Jakeem Jackson. We had a freshman um, nickelback Sharif and Denson. Sharif Denson. We had freshman Castell, freshman Thornton, sophomore Devin Moore, yeah, the, the, freshman the Cersei on the yeah. line. So it's like you're playing five or six freshmen against your rival. Yep. And is that wise at that point in time? You could argue maybe not, but they've been playing a lot. They rotated in and out. And so, again, this won't be an excuse next year. These guys all have experience now. They should get much stronger. They should use the offseason to benefit themselves. But this year, a lot of freshmen out there. And ultimately, the defense got, I think, a really good result. Right. So we've... We've come on here and said, yeah, well, the the defense lost the game. The offense played well enough. And the inverse was true on this game. You, you know, it's tough. It's a tough ask of the offense. The defense really stepped up and played well for the most part. And then, you know, gave up that late touchdown, which was brutal. And again, you, you see them holding Benson to a lot of the running back for Florida State to a lot of negative plays. Tackle behind the line frequently. And then he busts one long touchdown run. So they were not perfect, certainly, but it's tough. It, there's a lot of young guys. There's injuries again. Nunnery comes and goes at linebacker. Kimbers has has to be in there. So the things, of course, I think they want to pick up, right? So corners tackling, right? So even Kimber having to run fit, are there, are there, is that just a, a limitation of our defense that we're asking our corners to run fit? Well, I think the best defenses employ their corners and safeties in modern football to to tackle. And, and this is, you can thank the spread offense innovators of this, the guys who run air raid, the guys like Urban who hooked onto the spread option, uh, the spread running, and then obviously spread passing game along with zone concepts. You just You just don't have the luxury anymore of lining up four down linemen and three big linebackers and running a four or three like it's the early 1990s, right? You, that's why almost no team does that. Because you can't do it. You'll get picked on in the passing game. You'll get picked on in empty spaces. What does that mean? It means your corners have to be more physical. They have to come in and tackle. You have to use them as extra defenders. That is the right way to play defense. It's why I think the Coach Ham strategy is a high-level, championship-level strategy. But maybe this year, as we talked about, he should have de-leveled it because we don't have the right pieces. But Kimber is an embarrassment when it comes to tackling. And this game for him is an embarrassment on film. If I'm Kimber, I look at this game and I should be disgusted with myself and my effort. He gave up two huge plays on his own. One where Nunnery, who I thought played a really good game for Florida, and Mitchell got most of the linebacker play. And Mitchell just is a guy, right? But Nunnery, I thought, played really well. Had some nice plays. He gets trapped on the inside. You get you get the freshman, Castell, who's a safety, who in run fit just blows into a gap he shouldn't. We turn the corner, but there's Kimber there. Look, teams are going to get you sometimes, right? You don't always get your run fit right. Kimber has an angle. Just push the guy out of bounds. Dive, tackle him, do whatever. He gives him the weakest push you can imagine, as you all saw it. It becomes a touchdown. Look for Florida State. They're having a hard time gaining any yards. To stop a team at the 10-yard line is a significant difference than giving them a big play touchdown. And that's one thing that killed this defense, is if you have a really good success rate, Allen, 
You want to stop teams from these big play touchdowns because you have the advantage on most of the plays. And on the on the back-breaking third and three run, who's in the hole unblocked to make a tackle but Jalen Kimber? And it's a joke what he puts on film for an attempted tackle. Who's the second guy there to limit it to a 40-yard game when Florida's still in the game? It's Jason Marshall, a guy whose effort has notably kicked up. I'll give him that. Doesn't even come close to getting him. And obviously, Florida's got real issues right now at that spot. However, however, the youth doesn't seem to have that. We saw we saw Sharif Denison, Denson make a phenomenal open field tackle, yes, just like Jaden Hill does from nickel yeah. early on. And so there's hope that, hey, we're going to recruit some dudes who aren't soft, who want to tackle, who understand how Florida plays defense. And they also understand in the NFL, that's largely how you are going to play defense. And so my hope is for the defense, optimistic. I do think we're watching the end of one regime, soft, three years of terrible defense, and heading into a better one, strong, aggressive, want to tackle, want to play their position beyond just covering guys, right? But make no mistake about it, that junk is embarrassing with Florida's tackling ability. The safety's tackling is still a major issue. They got to fix it. It's got to get better, or we just literally can't run a split safety defense. It just can't be done. We got to try something different. But that, at the biggest moments, once again, really hurt Florida. It did. And you got some. This sucks to talk about where the defense went wrong because, as we said, they played excellently. Most of the game, especially in the first half where you saw FSU really not able to do anything. There was not a lot of windows to throw the ball into. They had to be tough throws, as you said. And, you know, they had some missed opportunities themselves. But I don't know. I It wasn't like, oh, Florida's getting lucky on most of these plays. A lot of tackles for loss. A lot of just, oh, flushed out of the pocket, got to throw it out of bounds. I loved the just all-out blitz on that safety call where Florida just crushes the pocket, tackles him immediately. Obviously that's a risk sending eight guys there on your goal line. If someone gets free, it's a touchdown the other way, but it was a great call in the great and a great moment there against, you know, the right thing that FSU is doing. So, so many good things to note here. The defensive line played well for the most part. Um, yeah. Pressure in good situations. I hate that we're having to talk about a loss here because you know, they have, as you said, have one of their best games. They did. And, you know, yet, like we talked about, they couldn't get off the field when it mattered the most in those high leverage moments. And we've covered some of the reasons why. One of the other reasons before I give you some of these numbers, Florida has a penchant for one guy. It's always just one guy out of the 11 when we play zone, just playing stupidly soft behind the sticks. And it led to three Florida State conversions mm-hmm. where Florida's got everyone else blanketed. And it's just, it, 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 it's inexplicable. It makes no sense. The gap, the, the, the proximity with which Florida plays to receivers in zone is not right. Now, last year it was atrocious. Under Grantham, it was a joke. It's much better this year. Now we just have like one guy doing it. And I can't really figure out on film why it's a different guy all the time, but why it happens so frequently. Like what is being taught? What is going on? I love to sit down in the offseason to get answers from coaches on what's going on on film. Like why is this happening? What are you telling the player because I can't reconcile it. I don't know how on third and three, you have a guy like Jason Marshall or Devin Moore did one who I love the most, right? I don't know how he is going to allow Walker to catch a pass three yards past the sticks in the red zone when he's six yards behind him. Just giving, what are you doing? Like, I don't, this is it. Third and three, die on the hill, right? Be there for contact. Be underneath the hitch route. 
I can't explain that. But the numbers themselves outside of those two issues, right? Some zone issues. And then, of course, we talked about already the tackling issues and some run fit issues. Here's what the numbers looked like. Florida State came in again. This is what Jordan Travis, not with Rotomaker, right? It's not the same team. 126 rating in play action. Florida's result, a 56 rating. Significant, significant job here by the defense against play action. On motion, they came up with a 125 QB rating. Florida held them to an 86.5 rating. On RPOs, which they are really excellent at, came in at a 131 rating. Against Florida, they had zero completions on three attempts. Completely shut down their RPO game. Pressure rate allowed by Florida State was 26%. Florida got 30%. So a lot of talk this year has been about Florida's defensive line not getting a lot of pressure. They largely have outperformed the scout most of the games getting pressure. So there's that for you. Hit at the line 45% of the time is what Florida State allowed coming in. Florida hit Florida State at the line 68% of the time. So Florida and Florida State were just destroying each other in the backup quarterback scenario, loading up on the run. 68% hit at the line. Phenomenal job there. And even some of their big plays that were still like hit at the line. Yes. It wasn't a busted play. It wasn't a good schematic move by Florida State. If you make the tackle there, several of these things don't happen at all. No, and Florida State tried to run a lot of gap runs against Florida. And this is one thing why I like Coach Ham. We talked about how Florida got cranked by gap runs versus Kentucky. And as the game, as the season wore on, teams tried to run those counters all the time. And Florida was better and better and better at stopping them. They recognized them. They knew what to do. They came in physical. So that is also when you see, like, this, this defense is, it's not the same thing being this defense. Uh, a couple other stats here to close it out. Versus man, Florida State had a 105 rating and a 53% comp rate. Against Florida, Florida played man 27% of the snaps a 43% comp rate and a 55 rating. So 55 versus 105 there. Florida exceeding in their man versus Florida State. Florida State did really well versus cover zero. Florida played two snaps in cover zero. 50% completion percentage, 65 rating versus a 153 rating for Florida State coming into this game. Again, it's not Jordan Travis. Versus pressures, Florida State was excellent. However, not versus Florida. 70 QB rating with a 57% comp. Florida got 44% pressure when they brought pressure. 37% of their passes were behind line of scrimmage with a 105 rating. Florida held them to a 62 rating behind line of scrimmage, and Jaden Hill nearly had a pick six. They shut down the east-west passing game. They also shut down their passing game of five yards or less, and their favorite passing game of five to 15 yards holding to a 56 rating and a 75 rating. So those are all green numbers. We outperform the scout in every single category on defense. Yes, it's a backup quarterback, but to the point, Alan, that's what you want to see your defense do. Right. If you get an opportunity to play against a weakened opponent, you must take advantage of it and do your job to limit them. Florida did, but again, as was the death for them all year long, whether the game was in the 40s or the teens, when it mattered the most at various times, they just couldn't get that play couldn't make it happen. The big plays happened to them. Those big plays changed the game. And hopefully next year, of course, that gets limited to a significant degree. But this year, that's what I think I'll take away from this defense. We'll look at success rate near the end of this podcast to give you the total numbers. But so many chances to be better, just unable to kind of make those high leverage plays. Yeah. And in the offseason, Florida, I don't think there's any big schematic things they have to look at. But the major improvement has to come from tackling and better linebacker play. And these guys are going to hopefully grow up and get better. The play, as we said, playing a ton of young guys, a ton of freshmen, sophomores. 
even on defensive line, you got you have guys like Caleb Banks and who we haven't mentioned a lot, but a lot of young players, and that's the hope that these guys are going to mature into really dominant SEC players if they can keep them in the fold. Yeah, the message boards are hot. Obviously, that Shamar James is a Alabama target. Uh, you know, rumors are flying in these things, but we need Shamar to stay. Uh, we need, as you mentioned, a lot of improvement from our extra run fit defenders and from our linebackers. But going from year one to year two in Coach Ham's scheme should be transformational. We're getting better at it each and every game. But eventually when you don't have to do your day one install on day one, you've already done that for a whole year. And now you can spend, you know, your day one install lasts like a third of the time because your veteran players can teach the younger players what's happening, right? You can speed things up. You can do more and more and more on defense. You'll inflict less damage upon yourself. And there should be a significant leap in execution of the concept. Now the tackling part, like we said, that's a part of execution, but that's not just being in the right place. That's being in the right place and making the tackle. So all of those things need to happen for Florida to see improvement on defense next year. We will see if it happens, but they do end their season on a high note. And success rate-wise, as you're going to see, this was a significantly better defense than last year's defense in almost every regard, despite the fact that, obviously, Allen, they failed to get the job done when they had opportunities to get wins for Florida. Let's go ahead and talk about that. Why don't, before we get to you know, the final thoughts and the coaching decisions. Why don't you, you want to run it for us? Yeah, we can run it for you right now. All right. Defensive success rate. Here it is. We talked about it last week, so not too much has changed, but these are the final numbers. I'll start with 2022. Overall, Florida's defense in 2022 is ranked 105th. Explosiveness wise, they were 90th. Standard down 68th. Passing downs 130th. Running plays 102nd. Passing plays 95th. All right. This year, here we go. Overall, 27th. Top 30 defense success rate-wise. I mean, the majority of Florida's plays are solid, right? The overwhelming majority of Florida's plays are solid. Achilles heel, and a significant one. Explosiveness, second to last in the whole country at 132. And that explains Florida's exact results. As we've said before, there's no better explanation than those two numbers. How can you be a top 30 overall defense per play, but be second to last in explosiveness? That's how you lose games, right? Standard downs, 22nd. Passing downs. 43rd running plays 15th passing plays 55th for those of you that can recall those numbers which none of you can the only stat that Florida's defense in 2022 is better than 2023's defense in was explosiveness and they were 90th so they were still yeah still bad so that means Florida's defense playing a plethora of freshmen were 30 plus snaps 30 plus percentage of snaps went to true freshmen on this defense significantly improved in every regard minus explosiveness which can vary quite a bit year to year but you would also expect a freshman team it's pretty flat dude from 90 to 130 i mean that, right that's a jump but not no and you'd expect back. a freshman team that plays an aggressive defense to have explosive rate issues maybe not as many as florida had but you had them regardless though what does that say definitively statistically looking at per play stats which i think are the most predictive that's why we use them there's other stats you can look at and think, man, well, wait a minute. I'm looking here, James. They're like one-tenth with this and one-fifteenth with that. Yeah, that's those are true as well. But this is the stat that most tells you what your future will look like. It's the best indicator of improvement before you might see it on the scoreboard, so to speak. 
And I do think Florida's defense vastly improved over last year's. The numbers bear this out, despite the struggles that we've had. It all makes sense when you see those numbers. And that does give me hope, of course, as you've heard all year long, that I think Coach Ham's a real deal. I think he's going to be an excellent defensive coordinator. He knows what he's doing. And I think this defense will be good. We need better talent. We need more willing tacklers. And we need a little more experience. And hopefully all of that's on the horizon. Um, but either way, make no mistake about it. This defense, in my opinion, stats bared out much better than last year's defense. So there's improvement on the field, despite no improvement in the record. Okay. You want to go back to special teams here? Let's do it. So Trace Mack, two for four. Again, great season by him overall. And you can't expect per- perfection from a kicker, but you would have liked one of those two field goals back, I'm sure. Um, the last one, I think the one he made before the half, he made it in the quote-unquote warm-up where FSU calls a timeout and then misses it. And then Crosshaw five punts for five punts for 56-yard average, hit some boomers, got one to stick you know, inside the 10-yard line, crushed one that Keon Coleman then returned for a big return. But, you know, that'll happen some too. That was the, the Christian we expected all year long. Mm-hmm. And he showed up in this game and hammered the ball. And then unfortunately for Smack... You know, really, it's it's too bad that that holding call occurs and he's got to kick another 50-plus yard field goal <laughs> because he almost certainly makes the shorter one. And college kickers are generally not going to nail 50-plus yarder ones. Um, so it just happens. It's, there's a lot of variance in that position, you know. But I, I say he missed one and the second one again. What a crazy time to get a holding penalty. That is just pain, right? Pain. pain. You, pain. you take a conservative strategy there anyway. You could argue, try to maybe take a bigger shot with 14 seconds. You take a, the most conservative strategy you can by running the ball, and it backfires and pushes you back out of field goal range, or at least what you consider to be like high percentage field goal range. So rough stuff. Obviously, Smack making a single one of those field goals would have changed the game as Florida would have had the ball not down nine, but just down six. Very different game. All right. A few coaching decisions here. Fourth and one in the yeah. first half. Up seven, nothing. Yeah. Fourth and one, right, in the red zone. Third and one before, didn't get it, kind of lost half a yard on a QB sneak. It's fourth and one. Do you kick a field goal there, or do you want to be aggressive and then go for the score? I like that we kicked it there because, you know, having already missed a field goal, having another empty possession when you're dominating the game felt bad. I mean, sucks that we didn't pick up third and one. Went with that QB sneak, which, again, I don't think was the right call considering the way we've been running the ball. Yeah, so I that's probably 50-50 from that point in the field. You know, I don't mind being aggressive, but the game flow, it felt like we needed points there. Yeah, I think that this is where you have EV, which we talk about, so you have your meta strategy, right? Theoretically, you should go for this every time if you're going to look at your max EV. But then you have exploitative strategies, which you're going to take when it's not actually the best strategy all the time, but tactically there's good reason for it. I think this is the right exploitative strategy to kick a field goal here. Your defense is on fire. You're at home. They've barely had the ball. You're playing a backup quarterback. You get a chance to go up two scores and put more pressure on them. If you are the opposing quarterback, you feel more pressure being down 10 nothing than you do 7 nothing. And I don't think the pressure is all that difference between 14 nothing and 10 nothing. Those points matter. Don't get me wrong. Again, meta strategy is correct. You always go for this, right? But tactically, I do think if you're looking at, let me put max pressure on my opponent, 
um, at home. Maybe there's more mistakes that will come from them because they feel a two-score game. My rate of getting this field goal is really high. I'm going against a really good defense with a limited quarterback. Perhaps I don't get this fourth and one, right? So in this case, in the rule of two scores, I will take this field goal. If Florida was playing against Jordan Travis, I'm going for it every single time. Yeah. So I think there's a nuance to how you play that out. Again, to be clear, for those of you that know this, the meta strat is to always go. But I do think you have to finesse this based upon the human element, whether you're at home on the road, and obviously what you think your opponent's capable of doing based upon what you've seen in the game so far. And so far, Florida State's offense look listless. So, you know, I'm fine with the field goal. In fact, you and I in the stadium actually both said kick the field goal. And I think my exact words were, I am almost always a go-for-it guy. But in this case, I think kicking the field goal is right. So I do not think, I know some of you probably do, that the game hinged on that moment because we were too conservative. I think in that case, going up two scores was the right move. I think it came later. Wow, right, and if Florida he had gone for it, I, don't, I wouldn't have... You know, said no, I wouldn't have faulted at all. Again, that's one of those scenarios where I think that either one can be right. If you tell me your rationale, I will probably agree with you unless you cite something that makes, again, no sense, right? If you're just like, well, I just felt like I needed to go for it. Well, that's not ideal. There's two reasons I think you can cite there, and either one of them can be right depending on what your logic is. And as long as you could support that logic, then it's a, it's a good decision in that regard. All right, why don't you describe the next one here? All right, so would you, with 14 seconds left then, and one time out in your pocket after the big run by Montrell, would you have run the ball there to get a closer field goal? Perhaps you break one. Montrell obviously gets loose and gets down into the red zone before the holding call. Or would you have attempted to take a shot here, knowing, of course, a sack is going to wind up potentially putting you at a field goal range as well? Yeah, well, can you remind me what yard line that was on? So Florida's on like the 23 or 4 yard line. Yeah, that's a tough one because you've already watched your kicker miss one. Uh, you know, I don't know. Again, it's just how much do you feel about Max Brown right there? He's going to make a wise choice. He'd been making wise decisions thus far. Although if you drop back to pass, it's like 50, 50, whether he's going to get hit. I don't mind running one, like just running the ball again there one time, considering my offensive line, especially my offensive tackle issues and my, my quarterback. Yeah. I think it's, I think for me, I'll tell you what I would run for sure. Is it's uh you know fourteen seconds left? I'm gonna run a flood left. That's right, left, not right, left. We've never put it on crazy. film. It's super safe and easy. You just tell Max you're already outside the tackle boxes. Listen, roll out. Nothing's there. Just either run out of bounds of the line of scrimmage, right, or you know, run it. Give a timeout. You're fine. Either yeah. way you want, right? But like that's safe. Like Florida was never in jeopardy on their flood plays to the right. Like you could always throw it away. We talked about him missing Trey with a chance for a big play, but those plays are eminently safe. He was good at them. He's reading them well. He'd already shown that to be something capable. Florida State's going to expect that that flood to the right. Everyone does. <laughs> but hit that. him with something. It's a rivalry game. You got to win. Hit him with something that's still safe, but gives you a chance to steal a touchdown, in which case you then are going to get to go up 19 to 7. You change the entire tenor of the game. The whole game is different, and I think it offers you very little risk. You still got to take your field goal. I think running there is interesting. What are the odds you score a touchdown on a run play there, Alan? It's got to be like less than 1% if you run so that you play 100 times. You might pick up five, six yards that are So you gonna... pick up some more yards. You're already, though, an easy field goal range for Trey. It's like a 39-yarder, you know? So for me, I'm, I mean, I'm just naturally going to be more aggressive than Billy is. We already all know that. I'm definitely, even with Max, I am taking a shot with a rollout. I'm keeping things simple. I'm going to have a high, a low, medium, high read all on the sideline. Nothing over the middle. No danger. And hey, 
right, he's, he's brought me here thus far. He's made some really nice plays. Let's try to get a little bit more. But didn't happen. Okay, final thoughts this year. And Did this we, is not our, our next week yeah. to say will be our wrap-up of like if you're thinking when are we going to talk about should we hire an OC and all, that's going to be next yeah. week. This is the final thoughts right after this game, like what's immediately on our mind. And then a teaser for all of next week where we're going to really get deep into like the season recap. So Billy's now 11-14, 1-7 in rivalry games. Which is the worst start for any modern Florida right. coach, obviously. And the ninth hardest schedule this year, very difficult overall considering where Florida's positioning in terms of their their traditional not just rivals but traditional people on their schedule such as Kentucky Missouri this is the kick in the teeth though of course the third straight losing season first time since the 1940s Ooh. and losing season last year you know on a technicality they had a bowl game where they didn't have to play in it I guess or whatever and didn't didn't really actually play in it they didn't had a terrible matchup against the you know, streaking Oregon State team that was not on our level was much better than us. Um, but yeah, that, those are the facts. Those those statements are all true. They are indeed. And how about this one, Alan? This season, how many teams did we beat with a winning record? We have five wins. How many came from a team with a winning record? Just one. That is correct. Tennessee Volunteers. Volunteered as tribute to give us a win. Thank you, Tennessee. Very kind of you. Our other wins came over these teams. The 1-10 McNeese State. Three and nine, Charlotte, two and ten, Vandy, five and seven, South Carolina. The bright side of this, every other team on our schedule, except for Arkansas, which you and I identified as a must-win game for good reasons, every other team had a winning record. And Florida was close in so many of them. Now, close does not count. But if you look at other teams, Auburn, Arkansas, Right, continue on South Carolina through the SEC. They got shelled in multiple of their games. Outside of Georgia, Florida could have won every other game they played. And so there's silver linings to the horrible taste that I have in my mouth right now and the frustration I have. And we'll talk about whether or not we think that matters for Billy's longevity. Is this just trying to paint a case for our current coach because we're Florida fans? Um, there is reason to believe, of course, that Florida's five and seven was very competitive. We had chances to win all these games, but that is not a comforting thing Mm-mm. to see that as a head coach, you beat only one team with a winning record. You lost at home to a team who just completely fell apart outside of the game they played against you. And here you are at five and seven. Yeah, they got Arkansas's best punch. It was, again, terrible timing. A lot of teams coming off bye week, new OC, a little bit of a lift against the Florida team that wasn't playing well. And. There it is. Okay. There it is. As you yeah. said, we're going to talk a lot more, do a whole season wrap-up next week. We'll look into the future a little bit, revisit our predictions and things like that. So let's talk about the rest of the results of Week 12, though. Let's do it. Week 12. Here we go. Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl, favored by 11 over Mississippi State. They only win 17-7, to but Lane Kiffin, solid year. Yeah. I mean, I think he'll take this win in a rivalry game. Wasn't pretty, but they got the job done. Yeah, seen a lot of comments on our on our threads saying, uh, "Hey, you know, I'll take Lane Kiffin. We'll probably never win anything, but it'll be fun. He'll be relevant, and you know, we'll win ten games." 
which could be true. And obviously, Lynn Kiffin was our wild card hire, as we talked about. Yeah, I, I think if you're Florida, though, if you if you know those are the results, is that what you really want? Though? Well, and that comes back to things we'll talk about again next week is like, what is our goal on the podcast? How do we view the program? Of course, the answer is always through a championship lens. We want to win championships. And I do think that the what I see as an indicator of where we are as a fan base, from my view, is when you start looking at relative wins, you're far down the hole. And that's human True. nature. I yeah, get it. Yeah. I mean, I feel you. Hey, you know what? I'd rather just be this than what we are. That's a level up. And it's true. And that's what's sick is that we have fallen to a level where not that Lane Kiffin is not someone who'd be really fun to have as coach because he would be, but that we're, we're seemingly so deep in this own well of ours that we can't see how to get the championship level. So I will just take having fun and winning games. And I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, and it's just a tough place but Lane, to be. Lane, I, I think you know, Ole Miss had only had one 10 win season in their entire history, and he's had two of he's had two two of them, two of the four, I think. Years, yeah, last three years. Or something. No, he's got it rolling. Look, I'm not saying Lane couldn't win here at Florida. I'm saying a lot of your writing saying, hey, we might not win anything with Lane because you know maybe he's missing a few things, but it'd be fun, and it would be. Look, Lane, I think we said this as the wild card, Allen. Lane is the closest thing to Steve Spurrier, and the closest thing of all the coaches to get named for Florida to being a Florida like coach. With the bravado, the quick wit, the media personality, the just what I think most Florida fans are closer to that than they are the slooper, slow speaking Southern guy who, you know, not necessarily indicative of all of us, I feel like. Either way, not gonna happen this year. So don't worry about it. But I know all of you on the lane train will keep keep tooting that horn. All right, Friday, Missouri. Seven and a half favorites over Arkansas. You and I said this has got to be the easiest money we'll make all year. And it was. They won 48 to 14. Beat down. Yeah. And Missouri continues to look excellent in most of these games. You know, credit to Florida. Played them as well as anybody outside their two losses. And there you go. And that's like what we said is Florida should have a win in that game. Right? They should. And they don't. But you know what? You know what they say. What do they say about almost? It only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. That's correct. And we're not doing that. We're playing football. All right. Oregon State, the Beavs, RIP. First of all, moment of silence on the pod for the Oregon State Beavers. Their football program is essentially dead. And that makes me really sad. Yeah, it's not dead. It's just dead as them ascending to like a, to be, you know, an occasional top 10 team for a while. They lose their coach. He leaves from Michigan State because yeah. what are you going to do when you're going to have to leave a major conference? You're going to get a third of your budget from TV revenue of going to some other small conference. I mean, I think it's unfortunate. They sold out all their home games this year. They felt like they were an up-and-coming program. They're fun. They're spirited. They have a great following. And, you know, it just sucks that they're they're kind of left holding the bag here. It, it really does suck, too, because if you had, they had a guy in Jonathan Smith who's an alum. Yep. He wouldn't have left. If they're in a conference, he's not leaving. I don't – yeah, and even then you, you had to hope, like – maybe he would stay as the one guy who might stay anyway and try to get him through it. But it's just so hard now. You're going to let me, it's going to be a bloodletting of players and everything else. And you know, that makes me sick. I'm, I'm all for obviously, I think in the future, like we said, having better schedules, better opponents, better stuff. But this, I can't imagine being an Oregon state podcaster and a fan right now. That's rough. Well, they go on the road to Oregon and Oregon claps them up 31, seven Oregon obviously continues to look like the real deal. Indeed. Yeah, this is going to be a great game against Washington, the rematch next week. Yes, it is. Saturday, this is now last Saturday, Kentucky played Louisville. And surprise, surprise, you and I both picked Louisville, but Kentucky gets a W, 38-31 in a highly contested game that Kentucky was the better team in. Right, Louisville, you know, they'd been a little bit smoke and mirrors throughout the year, and this game did not go their way. 
Yeah, we said that the SEC has been sus all year, which I still think is true compared to the SEC standards. Right. We always have known the ACC is sus, so no surprise with that one. A&M on the road to LSU. A&M, very spirited effort yeah. in this one. Had a they, lead for a lot of they it. They play their best in this game every year. Stymie like. Jaden Daniels for the first half. He had like 60 yards passing, but then they lit the world on fire in the second half, and he went nuts, and they won 42-30. His numbers now, don't blink here, Alan, mm. are better than the Heisman winning Joe Burrows. I'm not blinking. And then Joe Burrow went on to go absolutely nuts in the playoffs, though, too. He did. So we will see if it's enough for Jaden without being able to play in a title game this weekend. It seems like, based upon what the voters are talking about, it might be. So we'll find out. Iowa State on the road to Kansas State. Kansas State, Iowa State, you didn't take your clones. Thank you. You gave them to me. I took them. I appreciated that. Yikes. Come out as a win. 10-point dogs on the road. They get a win to end their season. In the snow and Farmageddon. Yeah, what kind of a wild score there. Yeah, and the snow to score that many points is kind of remarkable, it feels like. Nuts. All right, Texas Tech on the road to Texas. You know, I decided to take Texas Tech because, again, Texas fans, I like this Texas team. I said early on I thought they were a real contender to win it all, and I just keep picking against them because, again, you're welcome, and Texas crushes them 57-7. to Yeah, this is a weird result because I this feels like a game that Texas kind of stumbles through, doesn't play their best, and maybe wins or wins kind of close or, or does maybe doesn't even win, and they obliterated what had been – a fairly solid Texas Tech team. Yeah, Sark has got it rolling. Of course, the real games begin. And they might not Texas even make fans. the playoff in their best season in Correct. forever. That's ridiculous. I think they need to get in there. All right, Alabama on the road against Auburn Allen. This game is disgusting. We felt it. I, I still feel it for our boy Grover. Oh, man. Who is our resident Auburn fan. <clears throat> and that, I can't imagine that. The 4th and 17 was bad. 4th and 31. When you bring, you know, three guys. Don't even bring three guys. It's Well, it's, it's two and a spy. But there's three guys that are there, right? It's two and a, a spy. A spy. And then you allow, you have, you know, you got eight guys back there. So theoretically, you can only have five eligible receivers and you have eight guys. So, of course, you can't double team everyone. I've seen some narratives where it's like, oh, how did you let this guy get? Well, you can't double team everyone. He's in the corner. He gets in the corner. Well, he's again, he's in the corner, which is not a bad thing. You're, no, there's no not a lot of space. The defender's on him. And it is a world-class throw by Milrow to win this game. It's a world-class throw. But I want to say this. We talked about this on 4th and 17. But on 4th and 31, I would love to sit in the room with the defensive coordinator and say, please explain to me why you chose to do this. Because I'll tell you what I would do on a layup mode all the time. 100%. 100% of the time, I am sending six guys, and I am standing my five defenders at the five-yard line before the ball is snapped. Let's do the math really quickly here. It's 4th and 31. Five dudes at the five. I'm bringing six. This dude has no shot of throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage without, unless he's doing it in the first second. In which case now, their receivers aren't even there yet. It's just a lob up pass where I've got two defenders there to get a Hail Mary ball. If Miller gets away, I've got five guys looking at him. He's got to run 31 yards into the end zone with five dudes looking at him when he crosses the line of scrimmage, right? If he scores on that play, then you just hero of all heroes. You get it. But I'd love to know what the heck you're thinking when you decide to let him stand back there and just like he's playing backyard football at Thanksgiving, throw a ball to the corner of the end zone. Also, no guy one on one. What is the point of a spy? Exactly. When he has to run thirty one yards. He has to run thirty one yards. What are you doing? And there's a lot of other ways to do it, but again, to me, unbelievable. Oh, man. Like just complete overthinking it. 
one of the most heartbreaking ways to lose. And still doing it kind of stupidly, it still almost works because it's fourth and Because you could do almost anything and it's going to work. But talk about lessening your chances of success. Oh, man, though. Oh, it was brutal. Gross. For Auburn. And Alabama now alive. Look, they if they beat Georgia, they may still knock it in the playoff. That's how <laughs> we're going to talk about the playoff scenarios. They're insane this season, which is awesome. I'm here for it. I wish we had a bigger playoff, but that's gross. And I'm glad it didn't happen to us. All right. Clemson <coughs> on the road to South Carolina. Clemson wins 17 to 7. They cover the spread. You and I had that. South Carolina just unable to get anything going on offense. Yeah. I mean, dominant performance by the defense of Clemson there. Yeah, so Clemson, after, again, Tyler from Spartanburg rallied the team. I think a plant there by Dabo, undefeated. UNC on the road at NC State. Just a total Mac Brown-like collapse at Texas with a stud quarterback. Just a bunch of L's. NC State wins 39-20. Yeah, crushes them. I mean, just collapsed by UNC. But NC State quietly on a tear to close the season, finishing the top 25. I don't know who had this on their bingo card because I did not. But the Apple Cup lived up to the phenomenal hype and again a moment of silence here for washington Mm. state r.i.p to them another program that's feisty they have their own kind of version of the gator chomp it's like a little shark attack you know but it's uh they do something similar if you've never seen it before but either way 21 21 washington drives on the field gets a game-winning field goal to beat their rivals it's a great little play on fourth down yeah i mean really sensational stuff and washington's been that team that that wins in high leverage games and look doesn't matter what they've looked like. Oregon has looked like a better football team. We said after the the Oregon loss, they were a better football team than Washington. But if Washington can find a way to conjure up the magic one more time, they are in the playoff. It's right there in front of them. That's going to be must-see TV this weekend. Number two, Ohio State on the road at Michigan. Must-see TV last weekend. That game lived up to the hype. Mm-hmm. A really quality football game. Big Ten style football, but quality. Michigan wins 30-24 without Harbaugh on the sideline. Some gutsy play calling at times. Yeah, I mean, Michigan was aggressive where Ohio State wasn't. They made big plays when they needed to. Yeah, and they they looked like the better team to me, despite the fact that Ohio State is super talented in almost every spot. Yeah, so Ryan Day, three straight losses now mm-hmm. to Michigan. He's, you know, 55-7 and seven in his career as a coach at Ohio State. Half those losses basically coming to Michigan. There is talk, of course, that maybe we should move on from Ryan Day. Uh, your thoughts on what it's like to be Ryan Day this week? It's terrible. I mean, you are judged on this. I mean, he is a field goal away from a national title last year. Field goal. Yeah, absolutely. And now he's like, people are like, should we fire him? This is. I feels like this is exactly what Kirby was going through before he finally broke through where he's like losing, like, can Georgia win? It's like, well, yes, obviously. And I don't know that Ryan Day is as good as Kirby Smart, but the way they're recruiting, they're going to break through eventually. I mean, I, I, Harbaugh is probably not going to be at Michigan after this year. At least that's my prediction. But he's going to take one of these NFL jobs. I don't know. Maybe not. It feels like this might blow over. But either way, uh, the the sort of sideline stuff. But, yeah, Max Payne – for Ryan Day. And also, who do you want to hire if right. you're Ohio State? And I'm not saying Ryan Day is the truth. I think, obviously, if you're an Ohio State coach, you can look at them. You just win because your recruiting is like an unstoppable juggernaut that never goes away, which must be nice. Now, I think it can go away. I think we live in a world where yeah, we've I don't seen. Think that's guaranteed. Yeah. No, not anymore. Every single school's recruiting can go away. So my point is, you better be careful 
if you're Ohio State. Here we are at Florida saying, hey, I'll take Lane Giffen. We'll win 10 games. He'd be fun. And at Ohio State, we're saying, give me anyone else because we can't beat Michigan. And Harbaugh is a wild story, right? He's been the guy we've, we've long highlighted as if someone's going to beat the three-year test, it will be him potentially because he didn't pass it. He's kind of at a resurgence. He's got a chance this year to win the playoff. But really, really good game. Someone's got to lose it. I think it's really hard to judge a coach when you're losing coin flip games like that where your team plays pretty well. But to your point, Michigan was the more aggressive team on this day. And oftentimes in these big matchups, that is what will lead to wins. We know that from expected value. All right, Alan, hit us up with some other results as more than just this happened around the country last week. Okay, Arizona beats Arizona State 59-23. Arizona finishes on a six-game unbeaten run, including four top 25 wins. They are on a roll. We talk about Jeff Fish every week. Let's see if, if he maybe gets one of these bigger Four jobs. top 25 wins is unreal. Like, There's yeah. a lot of coaches that have coached for five or six years you think are pretty good that do not have four top 25 wins. Right. And so I don't know if there's going to be a big enough job that would attract him, but he's got, I mean, Arizona is kind of one of those sleeping giants. I mean, there's a lot of talent there. You can win at Arizona. Yeah. You can do it. It can be done. And let me, let me put this in the thread. Okay. Jed Fish is a huge, is a huge Florida guy. Some of our very own listeners know Jed Fish very well. And that's why I followed Jed Fish. We mentioned him in the pot very yeah. early on because of that. There's some big fans of Jed Fish. If you are Jed Fish, and you think to yourself, what is my dream job? Obviously, it's, it has to be Florida. Right. Let's just be real. I mean, come on. That's, you're a Florida grad. Like, through and through, it's got to be Florida. And you look across the country, and you look in Gainesville, and you say, well, there's a decent chance that this coach is not going to be there in maybe one or two years. And maybe if I'm at Arizona, I got something rolling here. I'm having fun. I'm winning. I'm solid. I have three years of winning success. Let's say it's the end of year four. Am I a candidate for Florida? You better believe it. You're probably a slam dunk candidate for Florida. Oh, for sure. If he has another season like this season, I think he's got to be at top of So the question then is, if you're him, is there another job that really interests you in that in-between time? Otherwise, I think it's worth waiting to see what happens to your ultimate dream job where he would probably stay forever if he becomes the next kind of that guy. (laughs) Well, we'll see, you know. If he wanted to. Now, there's tons of questions, but I'm just playing out the mental, like the daydream when he's sitting on his hammock daydreaming. Yeah. I think he thinks to himself, man, if I could become a coach of the Gators, that'd be amazing. And therefore, I do think that gives him special consideration to only take a job that is like, I have to take this job. Otherwise, he's got a good thing going well, in Arizona. Arizona's in, the in, the, in the Big 12, and that, exactly. there's nothing stopping you from winning. No, the Big there's 12. nothing. So to me, I think he stays put, and I think he watches what happens at Florida. That's a very realistic scenario for him. Okay, Utah beats Colorado 23 17. Dion finishes the year 4 and 8. Some more decommitments today. That's the Dion's problem. I think yeah. the on-field results were obviously really good for them. They were close in a lot of games, but their recruiting is is not only going nowhere; it's literally emptying out. They almost have nobody on their nobody. List. And there's a lot of rumors which have been out there for a while, and it seems like maybe some of the players believe this, Alan, that Dion is really only going to coach there till, of course, his son leaves there. So that's been a prevailing hmm. fear that I've seen mentioned by several people is that people don't think he'd stay in Colorado past Shador. Well, Shador even going to be there next year? That's the question. Well, that's what some people would say is feeling a lot of these decommits. So either way, keep an eye on that. But again, we talked to Dion. He was either going to be mercurial and unbelievable or a total flash in the pan because it is so hard to win in college football. You have to be good at everything and recruiting, which I think is the worst of all things. I literally would hate it as a coach. I love people. I love talking to people. I feel like, I love building and casting vision. I'm an entrepreneur, 
But the way the system is now with like this mafioso backdoor greasy palm scenario is disgusting. And obviously Dion doesn't want to do it, but also you got to do something. So keep an eye on that one. All right, Cal trounces UCLA in the last regular season Pac-12 game, 33-7. And UCLA... That's surprising. Yeah. I mean, they just cranked out USC the week before. Yeah, and now Chip Kelly... I don't know. I don't know if you're going to fire him, but not a high momentum here for it. And then Iowa, Nebraska hits the lowest under ever. I mean, Nebraska, they've had like seven years of losing seasons, and they the number of one-loss games that they have lost, one-score games that they have lost is mind-numbing. And they missed two field goals under 30 yards in this game. I know. And uh, Iowa, though, gets it done. Iowa's playing in a championship game. Despite the kind of meme-worthy team they've become on offense, that defense is world-class again. No, they're going to have negative three yards of offense against Michigan. Oh, they are. But, I mean, they, they still a solid. They're ranked. And Nebraska, you know, Florida's kind of trending in the Nebraska direction. Oh. Not really, but, I mean, obviously, to your point, it's like you're close. If we could just have one play different, we'd have a bunch of wins. But But you need to increase your margin for error to the max. All right, the rest of the SEC roundup. Tennessee beats Vandy 48-24. And then UGA over Georgia Tech 31-23 gets kind of close at the end, although it's a little bit... Kind yeah, of kind of smoke and mirrors-ish, but it did get close. I mean, Georgia Georgia was about to go up 38-16. It was 31-13 in the fourth. It was a beatdown. And then it wasn't. And then it was, you know, Georgia had to see the game out. So this Georgia team, as we've seen, mm-hmm. they can be really good, but they are not the same team as, you know, teams we've seen in the past. They're probably good enough still, I think, to win a title. But they definitely have chinks in the armor. Solid, but chinks in the armor, which is why I think this playoff season is going to be the most compelling one yet. Okay, some news here. We'll start with Florida. Jonathan Odom, tied in, hits the transfer portal. I think Adam Mahalik is in there as well, but, you know, his non-scholarship kicker, I don't <laughs> the barely rates. So here's what I think will happen to Florida over the next couple of weeks. I think you'll see a lot of guys in the portal. Florida almost needs that to hit the kind of scholarship math necessary to field the right kind of roster because they want to take a ton of freshmen. That's their focus. And they need a lot of portal guys, right? So I think, you know, you hope to have a pretty good ratio here. If you're going to lose a lot of people, you're hoping that not many of them, like, are, you know, really impact you. So last year we lost a lot of guys. Only a couple of them were impactful, but they were very impactful, including like Hopper and Tarquin. So if Florida only loses maybe one or two impactful guys, and maybe they're not linchpin guys, I think you would take that to clear up roster space for all the freshmen and other portal guys you might want to bring in. Yeah, you mentioned that. We lost Braun too. I mean, those Braun those guys too. are that's, – that's maybe two wins if you have those three guys that's how significant that was for this year's team it's a razor thin margin right now but but yeah to your point florida does expect a lot of attrition hopefully not a lot of attrition from guys that they like and want Mm -hmm. to keep um of course we always hear things from quote the inside we don't share them often even when they're really actually from the inside because you know the reality is we don't know we try to only share stuff we know with you we've heard players names get floated around for a while this season they're probably going to leave don't be surprised that kind of thing. Uh, but I think all in all, you know, if Billy can hold the recruiting class together, that's number one. And then if obviously we can hold guys like Shamar James, like you cannot lose a guy like Shamar James. You just cannot do it. If he's going to leave your program and go somewhere else, 
when you are tr- clearly selling a vision to all these other players that we are going to be a championship team in Shamar James's timeline as a player, what is happening? Like that's a right. major like I don't believe in you. He's not a senior who like wants to win a championship. No, he's not going to get passed over. No, there's no, there's no good reason for him. No, to train. this is his opportunity to be the guy on an ascending team, and if you can't convince that guy to stay. It's not a good look. Now, players can do what they want, but again, this is a major moment, major crossroads here for Billy. We're going to dive into all this stuff next week, to your point. But I do think you're correct, though. Florida wants to have a decent amount of attrition still. We are not where we want our roster to be, to where we're Georgia or Alabama or Clemson, where you hope to really have no one leave outside of maybe one or two or three select guys, and you, you cherry-pick a few transfers. Florida's still at a more you know, revolving door spot on the roster. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple weeks. And yes, of course, the number one storyline by far is that recruiting class. Okay. Coaching news, a few firings. I don't Jimbo out. Um, you know, uh, we talked about Derek Arnett being out. A couple more firings. Dana Holgerson out at Houston, Andy Avalos at Boise. That's kind of old news. Tom Allen out at Indiana. They pay a pretty big buyout for Indiana which would increase decrease a lot next year, but they went ahead and paid it. Dino Babers out at Syracuse and the hirings, Jeff Lebby, um, longtime OC is at Mississippi state. Mike, how do you like, how do you like that one? I don't know. I, I like their offense. I like that style. I have no idea. Again, you're taking a coordinator promoting him. It's like, can he do all the stuff that you'd want him to do? I think it's a decent swing by Mississippi State there. It definitely feels like they're following back in the footsteps of of you know the Mike Leach, Dan Mullen, get a get a really offensive guy at Mississippi State, and I like that they kind of are feeling like they've they have an identity of what they want in a coach. I think that's better than just maybe just taking shots. I don't know if it's going to work or not. I, I don't know how I feel about the hire per se, but I do think they you know Mullen to Leach was was solid for them as far as results, and I think they, they kind of try to keep it in the same vein here and see what happens. Yeah, if you're going to be mediocre, it's probably better to be mediocre, fun on offense than yes. not. Oh, that's a fact. Okay, Mike Elko to Texas A&M, you know, the head coach of Duke, a lot of success there the last two years. I, he had been the D.C. there before. Excellent. We had covered right? him. Excellent D.C. So, fascinating. You know, they had been like, what is the splashiest hire we can make in Jimbo Fisher? And, you know, I think this is a good hire. Maybe it's just swing the other way. Like what it, we want stability and discipline. We'll see. It's definitely not one that like moves the needle. I think it's solid. I'm surprised they went with it in some aspects, but they, again, when you look at the pool of candidates, unless they were going to go totally wild card and do something nuts and hire like, you know, Urban Meyer or something stupid like that. This is probably their best move. They they would have loved to hire Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Lions, but that there's no chance that was happening. No, and obviously maybe one day Dan Campbell, I think, becomes a candidate for them if he chooses. I think he'd be a great college coach because mm-hmm. he's so much charisma and personality, uh, and he played. Um, so, you know, I think that the cautionary tale for me is this. I've gotten to a lot of conversations with people about coaching in general. Who's the next coach you'd want? And I don't even engage yet because Billy's not going anywhere right now. And I just, although a lot of people like to engage in the speculation game, wait until the opportunity is there to hire a coach and then you look. But the reason I say that is A&M comes out like, you hear all the rumors. They're going to pay Kirby Smart $30 million a year. They're going to go after all these guys. Well, you know who they got? 
Would you be excited if Florida got Mike Elko? Would you feel like we're back? Look, he's done really well. ACC coach of the year, right? In 2022, he's 16 and nine as a head coach. But are you like hyped? Do you feel like our whole, you know, our whole scenario has changed? No. And obviously that's where Lane Kiffin's exciting. Lane Kiffin is exciting. Look, Lane Kiffin, I'd be excited about Lane Kiffin. It's fun. The ceiling is there. He's an offensive guy. He's in the state of Florida. Like, I get that. I like that. Again, he was our second choice. But the point is, like, AM was willing to spend, I think, whatever, realistically. And they got a bunch of no's from coaches I'm sure they tried to poach. So we've said this before in the pot, Alan. When you fire a coach, you better have somebody you like already in the wings that you think you can get to replace him. Otherwise, you're shopping in the bargain bin and you're just going to spend more chips for spinning your wheels for years on a guy whose likelihood of success is probably not that high. Yeah, so this is what's, you know, the Athletic wrote an article about, about Jimbo's demise, really, and, you know, all the bad stuff comes out when someone gets fired. But, you know, you look at the kind of lack of player discipline, just the disorganization inside the, um, you know, even the recruiting and a lot of the personnel stuff, which despite the fact they had, like, the highest rate of recruiting costs of all time, seemed to be a lot of dysfunction there. Also just Jimbo himself and some of his character flaws get magnified in those kind of situations is kind of, you know, hyper, you know, desire to control, which is probably true for a lot of coaches, but um, yeah. And again, I, if he's winning those things, probably no one cares, but they couldn't get it done. And it's amazing. They stomach the buyout. I, on one hand, I, fully expect them to do wild things, but still paying someone $70 million, $75 million not to coach is just still a wild notion. It's, it's definitely wild. And again, you know, I think with Petrino on staff and some other stuff you had going A&M and they didn't play that poor this year and they could never keep a quarterback healthy. I think I would have given them another year, but well, they, honestly, yeah, I mean, I, in a world without a buyout, obviously it's very different, right? Yeah. Then you can fire them as you want. I mean, these buyouts, which we've talked about at length, they're stupid. They're dumb. I hate them. They're ridiculous. Be the first athletic director to have some nuts to say, listen, you know what? I'm not, I'm not paying you a buyout because the odds are you're not going to make it here. But if you do make it here, I'll give you whatever you want. Right. So this is the thing. Give all the escalator clauses you want. Everything you want. I'll give you max incentive, but yeah. I'm not going to pay you money to fail and lose and fire. Yeah, you me. have like, you have like three to four years and then your buyout drops to nothing. We'll keep giving you contract extensions which will pay you yeah you'll get it if you win you'll get it like everyone else in life and if not you're not going to get it you don't deserve 100 million dollars for losing mm. and if you don't want to coach here under that circumstance i don't want you to coach here because you don't believe in yourself you know stone up and say it how about no, mark, how about mark stoops though? fault them for taking it no i would take it if i'm if, if you want to give me 50 right. million dollars right now to guarantee my podcasting contract and i can go <laughs> quit and be on a beach somewhere and do tv i'll do it right i mean come on it's crazy but mark, mark stoops what do you think about that one I mean, it was all but done. Oh, yeah, we it talked about. Like, oh, you right? talk about that. I mean, I think I like this hire better than Mark Stoops. Oh, I do too. But the fan base revolted. Oh yeah. I mean, that was the hire, presumably. So I again, mean, I, do you want? I mean, no, do you do want Florida? That we've already talked about. It. I would, I would die. Like, just literally, I'm not gonna be a Florida fan anymore. Like, shoot me in the head. And A and M fans, I think, felt the same way. But I mean, this is it. Like, I don't know what these fans dream up. They're gonna have these fantastical coaching hires. And they get Elko or they get Stoops. And it's like, how excited are you then? I know, I know. But Elko at least is the unknown of like, you no, know. No, I mean, Elko did it. a phenomenal job. I'm not knocking Elko. I just sure, mean like, it's not who they dreamt of. It's not of. the sexy hire. But it's the not Stoops who thing, they thought. I, when they were hiring Stoops, I'm like, <laughs> gladly. Like, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm not afraid. It hurts Kentucky and I'm not afraid of A&M. 
Yeah, no, hundred hundred percent. I mean, it's it's crazy to again, it's just crazy to think of what these guys are getting and what they want. But we we this is not a great year to hire a coach, in my opinion, and I think you're kind of seeing it play out. But we will see. Maybe Elko will become a glorious coach. I loved him as a DC. I think he was fantastic. We we profiled him on the podcast. Obviously, great job at Duke this season. Very and Duke competitive. would have an even better record this year had they not lost their quarterback. Correct. Very competitive. Um, that's no. This is no knock on Elka, but again, the sexy scale. It's not the huge name they were going to poach. Right. That's kind of what we're talking about here. Those almost never happen, despite every fan base. Well, they did last year. That was, was the kooky thing. Is you had, you know, LSU stealing Notre Dame's coach. You had USC stealing Oklahoma's coach. Yep. So they thought they'd maybe do it again. Yeah, and those coaches, though, had floated. They wanted to leave, right? It was yeah. known on the inside they were trying to leave. And so if you're A&M, that was not the case with the guys they were elephant The Kirby hunting. Smart thing was crazy to me. It's unreal. Like, if you're Kirby, why would would you ever do that? That would be in the end. Of course you wouldn't. That's the whole thing. Insane. Like You can't spend that much money. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. At some point, you've got a machine that's rolling and you're winning titles. Like, I'm not, I'm not leaving. Uh, especially my alma mater for sure all right well another guy who's not leaving but it's just sort of paddling around going nowhere is daytona steve he drops 20 bucks last week why even bet if we're betting 20 bucks daytona hey man, what's he's cashing his lottery tickets you know what he's living a healthy lifestyle must be what it is he, we, need, we need we need some more sigs and some more recklessness out of this guy uh either way he, he went over over two Turkey Day parlay with Ole Miss. That sunk him right away, uh, not covering the 11-point spread. And then Louisville losing to Kentucky, which, look, I thought was a good bet. Uh, that didn't cover out either. So he takes two L's on the week, but he bets small. Only 20 bucks was at risk. So I guess good bankroll management there. We'll see what's in store for this week from Daytona Steve. All right, just one coaching corner here, Alan. There was a chance for the NFL to see something that you almost I wanted it. They never the see. Too. I know. If you tuned in during the Thanksgiving game, you probably saw this. We'll just cover it briefly because it's kind of fun. But if you get a fair catch, so it's a punt, in this case a punt, or any fair catch, you are always able to attempt a field goal without the other team being allowed to block it. It basically looks like a kickoff where they must be 10 yards away from you and they cannot they cannot encroach on that zone. So the kicker can get a huge running start. I mean, a huge running start. It's like a kickoff where you hold it. And kickers kick the ball very far under those circumstances. And this was a chance where I think, Alan, the Lions should have done it. Yeah. They really should have done this they, because what they did instead was they ran one play and they did pick up about 10 yards and they had to kick a 63-yard field goal, which is a regular field goal, much harder. The 66-yard field goal is what they had offered to them if they had just simply tried it. Now, they didn't do it, which is a bummer for all of us. But either way, you know, stay tuned if you get a chance to try this. My question to you, Alan, is would you... I would have tried it Yeah, if I'm Dan Campbell. Would you have tried this? I think so. It was like the ideal time, right? So you, you basically have... The only time you'd really want to do it is you have no time left on the Correct. Clock. It's not going to be an immediate turnover to their team. You get a shot at this. It's free. Yeah. That would have been super fun. I wish they would have done it. Thanksgiving fun. And, of course, the Lions, the poor Lions, take an L on mm. Thanksgiving again anyway as they cannot get out of their own way. And the Packers are suddenly hot. It is live read time now. AG1, back on the docket. AG1, of course, is your go-to foundational foundational nutritional supplement that supports entire body health. Uh, we gave AG1 a try because they came onto our podcast and sponsored us this year. Of course, I've heard about it for years. I'm sure like a lot of you have as well. What we've learned through this process is definitely not a green drink, as there are multiple things that go into this. It is not just a green drink. It's really a one-stop shop for your nutritional needs. You can drink it once a day. It's like taking a protein shake or anything else. It's basically flavorless and, in fact, tastes quite good 
compared to other drinks in its category. If you are looking for a comprehensive solution from your supplement routine, try AG1 now and get a free year, one-year supply of vitamin D along with a five free AG1 travel pack with your first purchase. So go to drinkag1.com slash GNFP. That's drinkag1.com slash GNFP. Check it out. Alan, tell us about some fearless salary negotiation. I'd love to. Let's do that. So our buddy Josh Duty is a world-class, maybe the premier salary negotiation coach, right? And so here on the pod, he likes to think this way too. We like to think this way. Talk about using a mix of optimal and exploitive strategy. That word already showed up this week to get the best possible results for every situation. And that philosophy can be used on the field and off of it. And Josh can help you find the perfect strategy to optimize your next job offer. So Josh is a salary negotiation coach for high earners, and he has worked with all types of experienced professionals to optimize their job offers from Fortune 5 companies like Google to startups to hospitals and everything in between. If you're a high earner who's making a move soon, you should absolutely work with Josh to negotiate your job offer to make sure that when you put your head on the pillow after that first day at your new, your new job, you know you didn't leave anything on the table and that your compensation package is as good as it can be. You can find Josh over at fearlessnessalarynegotiation.com. Click the get one-on-one help button to learn more about his coaching offering and make sure to tell him that you heard about it here on the old GNFP. Fearlesssalarynegotiation.com is where you go when you want to be absolutely sure you're getting paid what you're worth. Love it. All right. And lastly, but certainly not least, uh, excellent. Really just a great guy in Corey Amira. And thanks for the sponsorship this year, Corey. We appreciate that. The season is now over, right? So we've put we've put to bed the sadness and despair that Florida has led us to, so to speak. It is time to focus on other things in our life. And perhaps now you have time to focus on where you might want to live. If you are in the market to build a custom home, definitely check out Corey Amira with Amira Custom Homes. As you all know by now, he's a second-generation contractor who spent his entire life working in construction. He's a Gator, huge fan of the pod, and he has the experience to help you execute your game plan for your family's custom home. He's already passed his three-year test, as you can check out his entire portfolio of custom builds at amiracustomhomes.com. That's amira, A-M-I-R-A, customhomes.com. And if you talk to Corey, just mention that you heard him on the pod. Okay, Alan, it is now time for postseason prep. Since Florida is not in a bowl game, we do not have a game to mention or talk about. So we will instead get you ready for the slate this weekend, talk about who your four playoff teams are potentially going to be, and then give you a look into next week. Okay, let's start with Friday night. New Mexico State versus number 20 Liberty, who's favored by 10.5. So, how often have I watched either of these teams play? Exactly zero minutes. And with that, I'm going to go with New Mexico State. All right, this Liberty team's a super fun story. Jamie Chadwell who was at Coastal Carolina. Yes, he was. Very successful. Yep. I thought he was ticketed for a bigger job than Liberty, but he's come in there and dominated. Yep. And, you know, crickets. I, I don't know what the fear is with this guy taking a bigger job. I would go hire him if I was the next tier up. And so I'm going to take him here. I like that. That was a great, great tidbit of info there. All right. Number five, Oregon. Favored by nine. Nine points. Big spread, right? You think this is a game that was super tight last time? Nine points seems like a lot. 
I think Oregon is a much better football team, but Washington has had the ability to stay just they're undefeated for a reason. I think they play well in high leverage moments. Again, I do think Oregon will win, but I feel like I got to take Washington with the nine points here. Yeah, I agree. I, I would definitely pick Oregon to win, though. All right, Saturday, another two teams, James, I know you've been monitoring closely. Very Miami, closely. Miami of Ohio versus number three, Toledo, is favored by eight. Holy Toledo. Give me Toledo. I'll go Toledo as well. Um, I, I think they played really well this year, and – Miami, Ohio, there's a lot more question marks about. Okay. Coachless Boise State, favored by two and a half versus UNLV. Anytime you don't have a coach and you're still favored, Vegas knows something. Give me Boise State. I'll go UNLV. All right. Number 25, SMU versus number 17, Tulane, favored by four. Do you like the green wave? Do you like the ponies? I, I like the green wave. I took the green wave in my long short pull, and they have uh they've been riding for me. So hopefully they get the win here. I love it too. Give me them too. All right. App State versus Troy, favored by six and a half. App State is in this game for the Sun Belt every year. Yeah. Billy Napier is no longer there, kind of a permanent thorn in their side. However, they're now dogs to Troy. Is this the year that App State gets it done? I think. So I'm taking upstate. All right, I'll take Troy since it's under seven. All right, number nineteen, Oklahoma State versus number seven, Texas, who's favored by fourteen. Here we go, Texas fans. Yeah, what do I'm you got? taking Texas, and I'm sorry, man. I was excited to take Texas, hoping you would take OK State. That Texas has burned me too. That that Texas Tech score is now in my head. I'll take Longhorns. Hook them horns. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Number 15, Louisville versus Florida State, who's favored by three. What do you think? I think Louisville takes this game. I, I mean, obviously, Florida State is kind of what I thought they were, a solid team on defense composed. Their offense, I don't see them getting much better than what they put out there against Florida. Uh, I think Louisville bounces back and 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 says, hey, you know what? We, we are not going to the playoff anyway, but we can be ACC champions. That means a lot. I'm taking Louisville. For sure. I'll take Louisville all day. All right, Michigan favored by 23 versus number 18, Iowa. I'm taking Iowa. Look, I don't know that Michigan's going to score 23 against them. So it, 20 nothing, still a win for Iowa. I'm taking Auto Iowa. pick Michigan here. There's no way Iowa stays within 23 here. Okay. I mean, I, I think you're underselling Iowa's defense. It's awesome. 20, 22 nothing is still a win for me on that game. <laughs> All right. We'll see. All right. All right. Now the highlight SEC title game, number one, UGA favored by six against. Number eight, Bammer. Hmm. 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 I've been thinking about this one all day long because I can't wait for it. And I really don't have a feeling either way. I've obviously been on the Georgia bandwagon this year. I think that they were better than people thought they were. I don't believe in Alabama, but there's something about Nick Saban maybe just getting Kirby here. Like I, I have to think that Nick Saban hasn't wanted to win a football game in his entire coaching career, maybe (laughs) more than this one really seriously, because if Kirby wins this game, this is kind of incredible, but he he almost just automatically enters into like the, maybe he's better than Saban. Maybe he's the new goat. And I don't think Saban wants any part of that. He spends his entire life into his seventies coaching football. Is it enough though for this Bama team, which has flaws to win against a Georgia team that is theoretically a little better. Ugh. Six points is not a lot, but I got to take Bam on the points here. 
All right. I'll go UGA here. I don't love it. I think Bama can definitely win this game. I mean, it's hard. It's so hard in college football. Let I me mean, take Auburn. They get blasted by New Mexico State and then essentially beat Bama the next week. Blasted. Blasted. Crazy. It's unreal. All right. With that, Alan, it's playoff pick time. Now, we know we had picked beginning of the year. We know we had picked at the midseason of the year. Hmm. But now I want to ask you, knowing everything we know, because really the picture is still pretty unsettled, who do you think comes through this weekend? What are your final four teams going to be? Well, just from my picks, you can tell a couple things, right? So Michigan would be in, certainly. And then Oregon, I think, does win. I said I would pick Oregon. So I think those two teams make it in. And then I like Georgia in that game, so they have to be in as well. And the last one gets super tricky. Like I I did pick Florida State to lose. So I don't think that they're gonna be in. Ohio State I don't think has a chance. So then it, it if if Bama wins, I don't know. It gets super weird between them and Texas, right? No, oh, wild. I mean Texas beat Bama. And Texas played the hardest strength of schedule. And Texas year. would be a a champion, whereas Georgia would not. That's correct. Are they gonna leave out Georgia? That seems outrageous to leave on a team that has lost one game in three years. It's going to be nuts, man. This is Again, this is why I think now it's nice. I don't get to sit here and rant like I did every year about how we need more teams in the playoff because splitting hairs like this is wrong. Let them play it out. I won't have to next year. But for this year, it is seemingly going to be the Armageddon scenario where someone gets left out and is pissed about it. All right, and I guess I'll take Texas with the last spot there. I like Which that. Which is, I think, what I picked I like. Season. I like that a lot. It's really strong. It's really solid. I find myself definitely Michigan. I'm locked in there. I'm locked in Oregon as well. And I'm locked in on Texas. I think those three, I think Texas is just going to find a way and their resume is too good to ignore. In my opinion, given the current setup of the other team, the committee, I just think this year cannot put two teams in from the same conference. They just can't do it. So that's the trick with Georgia. And I don't think Georgia gets in if they lose because you can't, with Ohio State, you you can't like you can't you can't do it. I feel like so in that case, then is Alabama getting with them? I think probably. I think they probably just do it because the SEC champion has got to get in with one loss. So I think if the winner of Alabama Georgia's in, I think the winner of Oregon Washington's in, Michigan wins they're in, and that fourth one, I just think it's got to be Texas. I think if you look at this sheet, mm-hmm. it's the other team that deserves to be there. And well, I'm with you. So I, th- I, feel, I feel a high degree of confidence. It's Michigan, Oregon, Texas. And it's that coin flip game between Georgia and Bama. And if Georgia doesn't get in, again, this is why I think Nick wants to win it. You get to knock out your main rival who's trying to take your throne. You get to potentially keep him out of the playoff, losing one game in three years where he can't defend his title when Alabama often gets in losing in the championship game. Mm-hmm. You both have one loss, and you still maybe get in even losing to Texas. I mean, it just feels like the most Nick Saban thing of so, all time. We haven't really talked about this because we both think that Louisville is going to win, but Louisville could do everyone a favor by being Florida State. This Florida State team is not. They're not playoff worthy anymore. They're not. But if they win the ACC title and they're undefeated. I don't think you have to put them in. I don't think you have to either, but I think they will put them in. I think that's bad for football. But again, this just comes down to why I want teams to play it out. I like for them to prove they don't belong anymore, Jordan Travis. But in this case, I think as a committee member, yeah. I don't know what you do, but I think common sense would tell you that team with a with a journeyman backup nobody is just not. I mean, come on! But you're right. 
You're right. So this is why this weekend is going to be unbelievable. It's going to be unbelievable. We have never entered into a weekend with so much uncertainty. There's always been some spots, maybe one, maybe even two. But to your point, Alan, if Florida State wins, and you can imagine one or two other scenarios where it is going to get so splitting hairs to figure out who the heck goes, I don't know anyone does it. And we look, we look at Washington. We're automatically saying that Washington is in a playoff game with Oregon, but they already beat Oregon. What if they lose really close? Now they're automatically out because they lost the last one. I mean, it's it's going to be a cruel fate for a lot of these teams. For sure. And I think, again, the, the, the silver lining for all these teams is like, man, this sucks this year, but I don't have to complain about it. I don't have to go to the media and say it sucks because it won't be this way the next year. controversy is removed. Otherwise, it, people would be Oh, out. man. Livid. And so they're going to calm down and get that, but it's going to be sensational watching. And obviously, Florida has no skin in the game here, so we're not going to have to worry about it. But man, big time football, big time stakes this weekend and people campaigning, convincing commit members, trying to do all they can to get in. It's going to be fascinating stuff. All right. So you and I are both locked in then Michigan, Oregon, Georgia, Texas. We will see what happens. Daytona Steve, what is he doing on this championship weekend? Well, he's betting Nothing to win a lot. Now, this is a very classic Daytona so Steve he, his bet. path to $1,000 is still alive. It's still alive, as he for. says. He wanted to let us know that he's still good. He's he's you know he's really probably two or three cartons of cigs deep now <laughs> this week trying to think of what to do. It's like you imagine a beautiful mind in the Greyhound track. He told me up. he slept in the stalls with the yeah, animals. Yeah, right, really in between grilled cheese and like just taking like poker cards and trying to like beautiful mind this whole thing. And here's what he came up with. Here it is. He's going to bet the money line on Liberty. Oregon, Toledo, Texas, Boise State, App State, Georgia, SMU, Louisville, and Michigan. So it's every championship. You hit every single championship winner. Liberty, Oregon, Toledo, Texas, Boise State, (laughs) App State, Georgia, SMU, Louisville, and Michigan. You will win $1,164.54. We'll push him to his road to $1,000. Good luck, Daytona Steve. I hope that what you worked out there at the Greyhound track pays massive this dividends. Would be the, this, this would week. be amazing. I'm, be I'm heck, so pulling for this. A heck of a send off. All right. As we do now, this time of year, the B ball update. B ball team beats Pitt in a really exciting, well played game where they took over in the second half. They play a back and forth battle with a really good Baylor team who's undefeated, who's going to be, I think, a top five seed line team in the tourney. They largely outplayed Baylor in most respects, statistically, outside of three-point shooting, which really did in Florida in this game, but they still barely lost. I am like 10 out of 10 level excited about this basketball team. I mean, Golden is showing things I think you want to see. Both of Florida's losses come without impactful starters being there. The freshmen play extremely well. And I think one thing that's important to note for me, if you watch up-and-coming teams, pay attention to neutral commentators who know nothing about the team and then watch them play. And Florida is like turning serious heads. The conversation is like, whoa, this team is like, wait, who are these guys? Oh, these freshmen that weren't really recruited. These dudes are legit. Like if we redid the rankings now, they're going to be like five stars. Like that is obviously a lot of season left, but I think the team looks like that. And that shows you something about Golden, that he's trying to create a tactical bridge. Something I think we have not seen Billy do. How do I win now? And how do I get to winning later? with what he's building because we know the goal is for him to get top 50 high school talent. He is literally in on like every top 50 player he can be. He's selling out to get top 50 high school talent, but he's nailing the transfer portal. Most importantly though, this team is fun. It's a fun team Mm -hmm. to watch. I'm really hyped to see where they go. If they can figure stuff out, I think they have a nice ceiling 
And I hope, I hope this season pans out because I'm having a blast watching them. Right. And you crush Florida state by 30 (laughs) points is always huge. Pit win was really nice. And then be a punch for punch with what I think will end up being a really top Baylor team. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to win the national title, but I think they they could be one of the top seeds in the tournament. You know, in that one to three line, even yeah, certainly a team that if they get hot because they can shoot really well, right. they're really hard to beat. And, and they were white hot. And man, Florida was still and that there. little guard that kept you know the broadcast kept referring to him as like you know the master of inside the paint at six two, and they showed his shooting percentage. He made every single. Shot. Everyone, it was brutal in the last ten minutes. He was on fire, and as you said, playing without hand gloden, I think that that affects things. And our transfers in this year have been much more impactful than our previous years, almost immediately. Immediately, and it looks like a competent basketball team mm-hmm. with chemistry. And you know what else is nice, Alan? We score the basketball. Yeah, we score points. Sayonara, Mike White. See you never. I love watching Georgia scores. They're trash again, sixty-seven, sixty-five. It's nice that if we lose, it's ninety-five, ninety-one. Right. That's a fun basketball game, right? Anyway, I'm hyped, man. I'm feeling it, and I'm obviously rooting for Golden and the boys, and I look forward to watching them. We'll keep you updated. Uh, Florida's next game is on Wednesday of this week, so we'll see what's in tap for the non-conference. A lot of people like myself think that Florida should get through the non-conference not losing another game, which means Florida plays Kentucky on January 6th, Mm. and which should be a really nice like tester, like how good is Florida and how good is Kentucky this year. All right, on tap for next week, Alan, a full season recap. We'll look at our preseason yardage totals. We'll look at uh, you know who we had as MVP. And then, of course, we'll do a postmortem. What needs to be done to fix the issues with this football team? If we're going to hire an OC, who do, who do we like? Who do Alan and I like? What are we going to change on offense and defense? What has to be done for Billy to complete his three-year test? What do we do if he doesn't complete his three-year test? All the speculation I think a lot of you have been yearning for this season where we kept saying, wait for all the data to come in, wait for us to have all the information. We'll begin to engage and embark on that process. And then, of course, we won't be able to totally put that analysis to bed until we hit the early signing day. But we will begin. That will be next week. We'll recap the championship games, get you ready for bowl season, and then prep you uh, with the analysis work that needs to be done on what's happened this past season. So I'm looking forward to that. I know Alan is as well. As always, it's great to be with you. Even during really difficult seasons, it's tons of fun to do the podcast. And we hope you enjoy listening to it as we all try to make sense of what we're experiencing as Florida fans. And we will be back with you next Monday, as always. Have a great start to your December, and we will see you then.